Jack O'Connor said, don't ever read a paper. You're kind of thinking, why did he say that? Or what did he mean by that? Or does he rate him higher than me? It opens up something that you do not want opened. You the only have to be thing entertainment players should be looking at or listening to is the football <laughs> Wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Alright, very good morning to you, welcome along. It is Wednesday morning, I want to say. Yeah, getting nods all around. It's Wednesday morning, you're very welcome along to OTBAM. We're here with you all the way through until 10, we'd love to hear from you. You can get us uh, on youtube.com forward slash off the ball. You've got to be signed in to leave a comment. Um, and you need to be subscribed to our channel. You also can get us at off the ball AM on Twitter or you can uh, text the show 0879180180. I believe the WhatsApp is up and working this morning. Very sorry for blanking all your WhatsApps for the last while with the phone. It was unplugged, so... What are you going to do? Anyway, Kathleen is here. Kathleen, good morning to you. Good morning. And Shane is here. Shane, how are you? Morning, how are things? Uh, Kathleen, back top of the table for the Arsenal fans this morning. Yeah, we're definitely still going to win the title. Um, Yeah, last night was a strange one. I kind of had this weird sense of deja vu when we were 3-0 up and then all of a sudden Chelsea got a goal back and I was like, please tell me it's not happening again. Thankfully it didn't, but yeah, back top of the table. Not sure. I don't really feel anything about it, to be honest. I just feel a bit numb to it all at this stage. It's not much, it's not much of a surprise beating mid-table mediocrity at home, is it? I do think the whole world thought when it went 3-1, briefly going, if it was any team other than Chelsea, <laughs> you'd give them a chance of getting back into this game given what's happened recently. But yeah. The fact that it was Chelsea, under this manager... They're so <laughs> disastrous. I mean, even look at Obama Yang's play last night alone, like, nine touches four of those from kickoffs off at halftime like that's <laughs> incredible first start since the reverse fixture back in November it did feel a little bit like Frank Lampard was like How, who am I going to pick oh, you, uh, there's a thing in football where you always score against your former team yeah. so, oh, oh, oh but come on I know you oh been... and he has a little bit of beef with Arteta I'll stick him on and hopefully he'll do something yeah. and uh, that very much was not the case whatsoever uh, I think Arteta may have tried that a little bit as well with Jesus and Zinchenko and stuff in the City game and we all saw how that went so I don't know how much stock we can actually put in that theory after the last week or so. I don't think Arteta was doing that. I think Arteta <laughs> has no one else to play at that level. I do think that uh, Frank Lampard is like such a... He, he's washed up as a football manager after this. Like, there's no, I don't think there's any coming back from this. No. Do you know the way that everybody's like, oh, what's there to lose from this? They're as bad as they could be under Graham Potter. Mm, turns in, out things can always get worse. Imagine thinking Frank Lampard is a better option than Nagelsmann because he knows the club and is a club legend. What a horrific decision. But, uh, but the Chelsea board have Frank made. Lampard will land on his feet. Mark my words, this will not be the end of Frank Lampard. I think it is. I, I don't know. I, I just think he's gotten this far. He's like a cat. He always lands on his feet. And for some reason, he'll find some job. He'll go away for a little while. He'll come back. He'll like keep putting that narrative out there of like, oh, Chelsea weren't all that great. It also depends on what Chelsea do, I suppose, in the summer and like how they start the next season. But I don't know. I, I just... I always feel like he'll resurrect somewhere. Not in the Premier League, though. No, no, probably not in the Premier League. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if he went away, played at a lower league for, or well, managed a lower league for a couple of years, and then all of a sudden started creeping his way back into the Premier League. I totally would not be surprised. An eagle now. The only way to recover from this is to get involved with the England underage setup, and I can see a way back there. So you know, Frank could easily navigate his way through the 
FA hierarchy and end up in the England job at some point in the future, but I can't see any... Uh, look, in fairness, there are so many sackings. Uh, we say there's only 20 jobs in the Premier League, but actually there's probably about 48 jobs over the course of a season. And so maybe he gets another caretaker opportunity at the end of a season for somebody who's completely batshit crazy in terms of the owners. But at the moment, you can't see anybody giving Frank a gig on the back of the absolute rack and ruin that this has been. Oh, not definitely not straight away. I just think he will come back at some stage. I think after this, he will need to go away and, I don't know, hide on a nice island or something like for what's a while. Your, what's his coach? It was list, even listening to Cesc Fabregas after the match last night talking about Mikel Arteta's coaching style and his attention to detail. And I was, it actually just struck me. I was like, well, what's Frank Lampard's coaching style? Like, I, I, there was a moment last night where you see Ben Chilwell coming over to Frank and looked fairly exasperated. He's like, what's going on? What are we doing here? Frank's look back wouldn't fill you with, with too much confidence I don't know I, I'm concerned at the the length of his managerial career now from this point forward like it's not going to get any better this season for Chelsea either is it? Like, Well uh, they might avoid relegation that'll be uh, like they can celebrate they can do a lap of honour on the last day of the season or whenever they eventually secure the one point they need to it's not I mean there would need to be a really strange sequence maybe those results are no longer possible but there was um, was there a, an athletic six thousand word article on how uh, Chelsea could end up getting relegated at one point? There might have been. I'm pretty sure there was in the last like week or so, wasn't it? Felt that way, yeah. It's too long to read. Mudrick got a nice reception as well from the the home Arsenal fans, of course, rejecting Arsenal very, very uh, dramatically and often for Chelsea. What a terrible decision uh, he made! I don't well. think he rejected them really. Though. Well, Is it not that his club decided that oh, you, there's a clown over here with a load of money? We're just going to take that, and I'm really sorry. You're going to yeah. do what you're told. Yeah, I suppose it makes. Is that, is that like? And the Arsenal fans rubbing it in. You know, show a bit of class. I thought I thought you were all marble halls and class, Arsenal. You noticed the green laser that was. Uh, Following him around the pitch I didn't. consistently as he ran around, him, even in his around. Face. yeah, there seemed to be a green laser that was consistently in his eyes. Um, so yeah, clearly there was some Arsenal fans in the, in the crowd that, that didn't quite like Mudrick uh, playing at the Emirates in, in a blue jersey. But the thing is about like a game like last night, like you know Chelsea are on your on their knees, you know that you should really beat them, and you know you shouldn't really be taking any enjoyment out of the fact that you're doing it quite emphatically and they look like lost chickens running around the pitch. But it's still very enjoyable. Like they still are that sort of rivals, even though on the table right now it doesn't really matter and there isn't really any comparison between the two. It is still slightly enjoyable to see like the player that you thought you really wanted to sign go there. It's not. I I don't know if he'll necessarily be a flop, but the whole Chelsea project at the moment is a bit of a flop. To be able to taunt Frank Lampard, you know, the sort of player that used to taunt you for years at how absolutely awful he is as a manager. I think Arsenal deserve that little bit of enjoyment after the last couple of weeks. Yeah, look, uh, a bit of Schadenfreude going on there. They uh, they're. They've earned it this season. You have to say that they have at least earned looking down their noses at Frank Lampard oh, <laughs> and yeah. Chelsea. Uh, do you have any hope that maybe there's a little bit of pressure brewing now out of nowhere? Uh, you do look at Man City's fixture list and go, ah, oh, it's like one of the easiest cantering homes that a team could ever have. Uh, I wouldn't say time, that. I wouldn't say that. At the same time, like it was Stevie Gerrard's Aston Villa who uh, like got up ahead of steam against them on the last day of the season last year. Now, mm. I never had any confidence that Villa were going to stop Man City from winning the game outright last uh, last year. And they obviously turned it around in a three-and-a-half-minute spell. But stranger things have happened, right? Now that, now that, now that Arsenal have stopped the rot against, obviously, the worst team in the Premier League at the moment, and I'm including Leeds, mm. 
Is there any hope? Are, are you, Have are they you, stopped the rot though? Like, so you're feeling numb, but not. Uh, <coughs> a little part of you still hopes. Mm, not particularly. Look at their fix. So they're home to West Ham tonight, then home to Leeds on Saturday at three o'clock. New Leeds manager, <laughs> our, our Sam Aladici. Pro- probably, yeah. Big Sam. It could be in the next 24 hours, you'd imagine. He'll come in. Then they have the Real Madrid game away at the Bernabeu on the Tuesday. Yeah. Followed by Everton away. Yeah. Followed by the home game against Real. Then they've uh, the last three games of the season, home to Chelsea, away to Brighton, away to Brentford. Brighton and Brentford away, last two games. They might not be fighting for much. Maybe they'll be fighting for the Europa League or, or those spots. Um, so you never know. They don't have to worry about the, the FA Cup final until after all those games. So that's, that's, that's the 3rd of June against United at Wembley. They aren't uh, gimmies. Mikel Arteta sets on one... Sorry, it's, these are Man City's fixtures. Man City's fixtures, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Well, the, the the game against Everton away is uh, Sean Dyche written all over it. I mean, Dyche and Allardyce, two games in a row. Allardyce and then Dyche. I know. I mean, I would put Pep Guardiola up against both of them and both their teams. You can play twenty-two lads, and we'll play eleven, and uh, still put Pep up against them. Just you know, given that it's Allardyce has ruined title races before, didn't he? Destroy Arsenal's hopes a long time ago when they were in title race against Manchester United. I think he was a Bolton manager at the time. He knows how to do it. He'll set up to frustrate teams like Manchester City. Not saying he's going to beat them uh, with that Leeds team, for sure. But um, I'm just trying to furiously Google Guardiola's record against Sam Allardyce. And the first thing that comes up is Pep Guardiola has hailed Sam Allardyce as a genius as he prepares for Man City's trip to West Brom on Tuesday. So, West Brom know. team, they got relegated. Yeah, yeah. Genius. I mean, uh, is he? Is that like, is that, do the kids call that shitposting? That's just Pep, isn't is that, it? Is that trolling? Yeah. Oh, Usually is he serious? No, if Pep praises you, usually that's a bad thing. He's he's literally taking the piss out of you. Same with his own players, you know. He, he tends to do that when players play fairly crap. Takes the uh, the focus off them by uh, by telling everyone, trying to convince everyone who has watched the game that they've played well. And in fact, um, so yeah, Pep saying Sam Allardyce is a genius. Feels tongue in cheek, largely tongue in cheek. I actually can't believe Leeds are going for Sam Allardyce. You've got four games left in your season. Like I love the, I love the reporting. It's um, Sam Allardyce getting five hundred grand base salary for the rest of the season, and then on one of the papers, it's Sam Allardyce going to get a million bonus, and then two other papers have it. Sam Allardyce is going to get two and a half million bonus. So in total, three million quid for the rest of the season for Sam Allardyce. Actually, you know what? I've changed my mind. Pep Guardiola is correct. Sam Allardyce is a genius. <laughs> I, someone said yesterday, "Oh, Sam, Sam Allardyce wants the job." Apparently. No shit. Of course he wants the job. Look at the money involved here. He's got four games to do it. I'm surprised they didn't go with Michael Scabala for the <coughs> inter- remainder of the season as interim. But um, Angus Kinnear, I think, who's one of the executives at, at Leeds. Sam Allardyce has worked with him before with West Ham. There's also the fact that in those four games, Sam is going to have the midweek to work with the team. It's not like they have a, a cup or anything to distract. So we will actually have the week between matches to... To, to work with the team and, and I guess I wonder does Sam Allardyce just have like a big red phone in the corner of his house and whenever it starts ringing he's just like the money's coming oh, I, yeah. I know it's coming but he has been in a job since that West Ham one which is a couple of years ago he's, I, I was going to say he's bided his time but, but I think I, in fact he just hasn't had the calls I mean it's who wanted him between, between then and now his last job literally took West Brom to the championship it's it's a very desperate roll of the dice, and obviously it's not long term. It's literally these four games, you know, uh, do enough to prevent this happening. We'll give you the three million quid. He rides off into the sunset, you know. Uh, Does he not stay on if he keeps them up? No, no, they're getting taken over apparently by the San Francisco Forty ers and they do not want someone playing long ball for Leeds next season. They want like something shiny and new and Silicon Valley and like you know mm. um, the hot shot young coach. That's what they want. 
And they, there could be an injection of cash to allow them to become a mid-table team with the hope of winning a cup, which, you know, Leeds fans, I think, would settle for at this stage. Um, Frank Lampard has totally blown up any chances of having a big manager's job, says PWGC. <laughs> what, what does the... What, what does the... What is your... User? I, mean, I very, very rarely ask people's usernames because it's, it's between you and your internet search history. But PWGC... Is that GC Golf, Golf Club? Somewhere. That's what I was going to say. Mm. Pee Wee Golf Club? Periwinkle Golf mm. Club? Uh, Chris says, it's great seeing Chelsea implode like this. Couldn't happen to a better club or a set of fans. Ooh, the poor Chelsea fans feeling oh. bodied. All they did all those years was bask in the reflected glory of a Russian oligarch who got his money under questionable pretenses and then brag about how their club was the best run when actually, you know, it was money stolen from the mouths of mm. poor Russian people. But, you know, you, you deserve your Champions League trophies. Well, Inspector Corps says, James Corden, not a football expert, apparently. There you go. Uh, Lakers Docker. beat Golden State. They did last night. Uh, Steph couldn't get it done. What was the score? Was it a, It was close enough in the end. But it's a seven-game series, Inspector Corps. And uh, it's LeBron versus Steph. And so now is the time to tune in. I keep telling everybody this. At least once the first game is over. Uh, Bournemouth could probably will pass Chelsea this weekend. Bournemouth, says oh. Dahio Schocknesig. You like or melt? They're they're uh, like, it, you know what the, the worst thing I can say about Chelsea is the fact that there's one Chelsea fan in my group of friends. We have a we have a group on social media that we we chat back and forth on WhatsApp, and it was only last night that one of the lads wrote in uh, and tagged Jimmy. Jimmy's his name. Shout out and said, Jimmy, you're getting away awful lightly the last number of weeks. We actually haven't been abusing him. If it was any other club, we'd be abusing them, but because things are so bad at Chelsea. I think people felt a little bit wary and conscious of, of slagging off a Chelsea fan but, but yeah last night we were like well we, ha- we have to lean in here so if there's any Chelsea fans in your friend group let them know I mean it, this doesn't happen too often they could be back next year they could offload a few of the dead wood bits of dead wood and bring in a decent new manager after Lampard so if, uh, if you have a Chelsea fan in your life let them let, let them have it for a little number of weeks. I feel like Chelsea fans are never that fun to actually tease about things because they don't like... Don't care. They don't really bite back in the same way. You know, like, I don't know if I think of, like, all the Arsenal rivalries. Spurs always get something out of Spurs. United, Liverpool, whoever it is. Chelsea, there's not the same sort of... And maybe that's just because they've thought they've been better than us for a while, but so have all those other teams, so I don't really know what it is. Mm. Someone said they've won 19 trophies, Chelsea, since Arsenal last won the league. Mm. Which just serves to highlight last night and the the gulf that's happened since. Um, yeah, yeah, you'd be concerned if you're a Chelsea fan for sure. A couple of other things we should talk about: the uh, women's national league draw, sorry, nations league draw has been made. Right? Uh, yes. You can get promoted. We're in tier two. You can get promoted to tier one if we win the group. We've got Northern Ireland, Hungary, and Albania. But this doesn't actually. This isn't as convoluted as the men's. If you win your group, you're not automatically through to the Euros. No, so it still is like pretty convoluted in that like there is a whole Nations League that's going to happen before we go properly into the Euros qualifiers. So like we'll technically, hopefully, by the group that we have drawn there, we should be in Tier A by the time the 2025 qualifiers come around. Um, so yeah, the four group winners in League A go straight into the Nations League final and then group winners in leagues B and C are automatically promoted so what we're hoping is we beat Northern Ireland, Hungary and Albania which we definitely should do and then go straight into League A and then go into the qualification process there for the Euros where it's much easier. You have a lot more opportunities and a lot more playoff fixtures to actually qualify for the full thing. 
so will there be separate Euro qualifiers after after the League B? Yeah, so we have the Nations League starts initially this September, and then after that, another league stage takes place. Oh, so there's a second league stage and then the Euro qualifiers? Yeah, where each ah, team okay. plays each other home and away, and then the four group winners and the four runners-up from League A automatically qualify for the final tournament, but just, and then there's two rounds of two-legged playoff ties for the remaining ones. Sorry to ask, right? but uh, there'll be uh, League A happening while League B happens, right? Yeah. And so that's irrelevant, Those the winners of that? Though? So... So then, that's the thing. So there's loads of different pathways. So, so you can win League A twice? Uh, no, so you if you win League A the first time around, that's just Nations League. That doesn't... No qualifier. No qualifier. That's basically to get your positioning for the actual Euros qualifiers. So say we play this first round, we play this first Nations League, and the teams in League A will contest to win the Nations League trophy, Okay. and the winners of that will qualify for the Paris Olympics. The winner and the finalist qualify for the Paris Olympics, Okay. and then there's another round of the exact same thing, except the teams and the leagues will have changed, so there is promotion and relegation okay. in that first round. And that second time around... And the second time around... There are property places for yeah. Euros on... On offer, and then after that, there's European qualifiers. Uh, yeah, yeah, and then it's basically the exact same process for right. the World Cup after that. So there's loads of games, which is is yeah. obviously better. Yeah, well, hopefully. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about this FIFA global calendar over the last couple of years, and a lot of clubs, a lot of the big European clubs, we've seen the issues with releasing players ahead of this World Cup are not massively happy with the calendar change. And like when this was announced, clubs were really, really unhappy with it. So it's going to be interesting to see how that is navigated over the next couple of years because they don't want players playing more. I mean, even look at the news last week about Leah Williamson doing her ACL, Frank Kirby last night, also out with a knee injury for the foreseeable future. Teams are worried about that side of things, so I don't really know how they're going to work it. But it is good for, say, smaller countries like ourselves who are looking to build up momentum and get that sort of international experience. So Frank Kirby plays for England, Leah Williamson's their captain already ruled out. Looks like Beth Mead's going to be out in, as well. Um, England kind of decimated by injuries at the moment? Oh, completely. Like, their whole back line is completely gone at the moment. Millie Bright should be back in time for the World Cup. Not entirely certain. Lucy Bronze is also out with the knee injury at the moment. She had keyhole surgery there last week, I think it was, um, who also should be back in time, but not a certainty, you know, you never know what complications of these things. Right. Basically, five of the starting 11 that won the Euros are all out with knee injuries at the moment. Okay. Are other countries suffering similarly, or is it just England? Uh, England have been particularly bad hit, badly hit, but definitely other countries are. So, like, say, France are missing... Uh, Marie Antoinette Katojo, she's been out since last Euros. There's possibility she'll be back in time for the World Cup. Um, Diani as well, who's top scorer in the French League. Obviously, Alexa Puteas has just come back for Barcelona. So there is injury crisis. It's kind of across the whole game, but England have just been particularly badly hit in a international context. If you look at like at a club level, you would say that like Arsenal have been particularly badly hit at a club level. They are now looking at four ACL injuries, five ACL injuries in the entire squad, which is, I mean, there's definitely something wrong there. Will the Dutch be missing Miedema? Presumably yeah. she's not. No, she, her and Beth Mead are definitely not making the World Cup, 100%. Um, 
and because Meadema's injury came after Mead's as well, and Mead was already on like a time crunch to come back. If you think about it, like Pateas has just started playing, and she injured hers right before the start of the Euros, and she came back relatively quickly. Right. From Fever's perspective, it's a lot of players that would have been on the poster for the tournament, li- the literal posters for the tournament yeah. that, that can no longer be. So it, it's a bit massive blow for the tournament itself. It is, but it was the exact same thing though that happened with the Euros last summer. You know, he lost Pateas on the eve of the tournament starting. Like Katoto went during the middle of the tournament. So like Miedema had COVID for ten days of the tournament. So many major players suffered, and in some ways like there had been enough hype built up around it at that stage that it didn't actually really matter and you got to see quite a few incredibly good young players which was interesting because a lot of these teams you know they rely on their Midamas and their Meads and stuff and I think that's potentially why England did do so well at the time as well because they were the only team that went through the whole thing with a pretty set starting 11 that didn't change at all and um, because they were so fortunate with injuries and that's the running joke now is that they used up all their luck at the Euros and it's totally gone for the World Cup um, but there's still like especially with the World Cup there's still so many star names in there I mean you take the Netherlands and the US teams alone and you have some of the greatest players <laughs> ever playing at the moment so I'm, I'm, I'm still excited for it well, Ireland definitely are. Uh, if we can just get there largely intact. Uh, Bobby Dwyer, who yep. you all know as our resident Spurs fan, uh, true, true to form, you did say you always get a rise out of the Spurs fans. Uh, Chelsea Arsenal is in a rivalry. Two strange fan bases singing together about how much they hate Tottenham whenever they play each other. Well, at least they're, at least they're paying attention to you, Bobby. There's nothing worse than being ignored, right? You don't want to be relevant. Sure. Uh, going to be relegated pint, pint glass of wine is going to sort that out for you says Spectacor and uh, he's got the best record as England manager right one game and one win uh, yeah I, I did did wonder is there a chance that Frank Lampard ends up having the worst managerial record at this stint at Chelsea of any manager ever in the Premier League because he hasn't been fired yet after is it seven defeats in a row mm. six defeats six, six, six yeah. defeats in a row so like how many does it get to before they're like Oh, we just, I mean, what are we doing? How, like, Was it Frank de Boer at, at Palace that time? How many did he have? He had a shocking run. It wasn't 12, was it? Is 12 the record? Come on, Frank, you can get to 12. Although there's not enough games left in the season. Um, I was going to say, if there was more time left in the season, he probably could. They can't sack him, they can't sack him before the end either. Although, could he get to it with... Oh, no, because there's not really any other games left. I was no. going to say, if there was other competitions. So as, soon as, <laughs> as soon as the season is over, they're like, thanks very much. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we we'll follow up with tickets for your box. No problems. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> yeah, the board had seventy-seven days um, uh, without scoring a single league goal. Is so there at least Lampard has scored a couple of goals, two goals, I think. Yeah. Well, um, but how many defeats does it say? I'm trying to find out how many defeats. Now, ironically, the board replaced Sam Allardyce at Palace. So um, the world just keeps going around in circles. Uh, I'm trying to find out how many defeats exactly he had, but uh, I'll find that out. But yeah, if he can keep going, Frank, if he can just keep going, being this crap, you never know. It could be a record breaker. It could be in pub quizzes across the country and across the world for years to come. Um, any OTBAM fans who want to go and meet Bobby Dwyer in person, there's an impromptu meetup at the Roadshow tonight, which is happening in the Mansion House. Um, it's turned into a bit of a Manchester United special, although I do believe there's a special guest as well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Soonest is confirmed. Graham Soonest is going to be there, who has just uh, stepped down from Sky. So, good opportunity to hear him talk about the value of punditry, which has obviously been in the um, 
uh, public consciousness after Broly's piece of the weekend, uh, tearing into the anodyne nature of the TV punditry that we're getting at the moment. So if you've got views on that, we'd love to hear from you. But anyway, if you want to meet Bobby, you can head along to the Mansion House tonight. And um, yeah, 117, 112, the Lakers beat the Warriors last night. But uh, as I said, best of seven. So Frank De Boer only in those 77 days managed Palace for five games. Uh, and four league games and they were all defeats Frank's already ahead score, yeah, so. what is the record yeah. uh, we'll, we'll look that up for you uh, something else that uh, happened last night uh, I think most of you might have seen this on, on Twitter Irish football picks are the ones who brought it to our attention um, at Irish underscore picks uh, they found an interview with Stephen Ireland which is remarkable uh, have a watch really tough again because there's a lot of players I played with and then his players <coughs> names you'd expect him to be good and they weren't when I was with them same with playing against you know I played against huge names and on the day they never they never kind of got the better of me or they never I never played against them going wow these were incredible they never actually any done examples anything. of that Stephen Gerrard for example Frank Lampard every time I played against them I've always got the better of them um, even though they're incredible players but on the day from it's on, I can only go from that I can turn around and say they're great players Paul Scholes all these guys are great players but I've never had a game where I thought God they're, they're, I'm out of my depth that was never the case uh, Eden Hazard was incredible to play against absolutely frightening Um Playing with Sean Ray Phillips was fantastic. I loved playing with him. Robinho was very, very good. Um, Vincent Company was good at the time, I suppose. That year where I got my, my best player of the year at Man City, we had a really good squad and everybody played out with their skin. But I was just better than everybody in that season. But all the other guys were top as well. I probably wouldn't have got that award or played the way I did without those guys as well, of course, raising their games. So, yeah, it's, 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 a t- it's not one person jumps out at me. Yeah, I mean, you know, like uh, everybody's perception of reality is their perception of reality. And who the hell are we to argue with their perception of reality? Although, obviously, the commenters in, in um, on the uh, tweet. So this has originally come from RH Elite Coaching, which you can follow on TikTok. It has uh, 18,000 followers in the um the pitch side markings there are pro football arena. So obviously they've been doing some videos with, with Stephen Ireland and um, Lampard never got the better of him as he was smashed 6-0 by Chelsea was the first uh, response to Irish football picks by themselves. And, you know, maybe he got taken off after an hour so maybe he didn't get the better of him really. It was only 4-0 when Stephen left and it finished 6-0. And then somebody else says, uh, another quick check of his record against Liverpool and Chelsea. 1-2, drew 8, lost 18. So... Yeah, Empire of the Cup tweeting Stephen Ireland's career record against Liverpool and Gerrard was one of the players he, he mentioned. 13 games, 0 wins, 6 draws, 7 defeats. Uh, so maybe... But that doesn't necessarily mean that Gerrard was like uh, dominant in the match, you know? He was also subbed after an hour in Chelsea 6-0 drubbing of Man City at the bridge in 07 in which Lampard got two assists. Chelsea fans are quick to point that out. Um, I know that's only one game, but quite interesting. I actually quite enjoyed the comments. Like, uh, we, we don't have, like really cocky confident sports people here in Ireland too often and when we do I think we've got to lean into it um, I love this whether he's deluded or not Stephen Ireland here I'm just like go for it he did appear on TalkSport afterwards to say uh, when I played against them personally I never got into the changing rooms afterwards and thought wow they were incredible or they handed my arse to me I always felt I competed well enough against them in that moment in the game of course at the stages of their careers compared to mine you can't even compare it's day and night of course I mean 
I, 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 he did go on to say, I played against Messi in a friendly. He wasn't very good. I never lost to Ronaldo. Um, I like the way he's clarifying and at the same time kind of digging down on what he said as well. Which is kind of, it's kind of fair enough, is it not to take on some of the best players in the world and come off the pitch and be like, yeah, well, just into Messi played that friendly against Ireland wasn't very good. Like he was he was showing up for Argentina because that's what he did and and uh he didn't, you know, at the at the time he was at a stratospheric level. And so, you know, did he really care about the opening of the new Lansdowne Road? I'm not really sure. That was one of the... Highlight of his career, Jerry. Exactly. Highlight of his I'd career. say if you were to, like, do you remember that game? He's like, no, do not remember that game. He, he gives uh, some credit to, to Eden Hazard. He also said Rooney was ridiculous. Him and Thierry Henry just had this aura about them. Modric was ridiculous too. So a few players got yeah, a nice little Yeah, you know what? I think that maybe if you were to, if you were to put in, in a pecking order, our Modric... And Rooney and Hazard, way better players than Lampard and Gerrard. I think you'd find a lot of support outside of uh, Liverpool and Chelsea mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, for sure. The vastly overrated English players who are like, oh, these are the first ones through to the Hall of Fame in the Premier League because they're English. I don't think Stephen Ireland's point was, I, I was a much better footballer than Lampard and Gerrard. Maybe in his head it was, but I think what he was saying was, I never feared coming up against them and I never felt completely dominated by them in a match, which I think... If that's what he believes, and, and that's, the, that's the truth then. Let, I, let him believe it. My response to this is not to laugh at him for saying that. My response to this is to go, isn't it terrible that his career didn't reach the heights that it could have done? Mm. Mm. For various reasons. Part of it's self-inflicted and part of it's injury. And it's like maybe if his mindset had not been to go in and be like, oh, I played really well after a 6-0. You know, if his mindset had been, why didn't everybody else play as well as I did? Maybe we wouldn't have been beaten 6-0 then uh, things might have been different for him but uh, apparently he's doing great work now helping uh, kids to become Premier League footballers so we shall see what the next act of Stephen Ireland's football career is but mm. um, uh, that's obviously old right it's obviously do we know when that happened uh, oh, that he clarified it. it yesterday I think All right, so so like, enough. I think it yeah. is recent yeah, like the clarification was from TalkSport last night, so I think right. it must have just gone viral. Okay. OTBAM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now at uh, bang on 8 o'clock. We have a very special treat for you this morning. I'm delighted to say we have Keith Wood and Francois Pinar with us from uh, from Adair Manor, Keith, no less, I think. No, um, Joe, we are in the International Rugby Experience on O'Connell Street in Limerick. Very good. Well, tell us a bit about it, because uh, we've been talking about this for a couple of years, and finally it's open. It has. I mean, it, it, it started, genesis of it was about six years ago with a conversation with J.P. McManus and Paul O'Connell, and about trying to do something in the heart of Limerick that would benefit the city in terms of income uh, by way of tourists and being an additional hook for tourists. And also, uh, you know, for Limerick being a fairly special place for for rugby over history and not having something to do just with Limerick, but to have an international element of it. So um, I joined, they asked me to join them at that stage and we built out a list of international names of people to talk to, to see who they'd get involved. We spoke to 320 players of the game. They all said yes. Uh, all um, uh, delivered voluntarily, actually, to this. And so for the last couple of days, we've dragged about 20 of them over to um, to here and to Adair uh, just for the official launch of the international experience. And it's been phenomenal. It's been great and really well received. And uh, it's it's pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, Francois, good morning to you. How are you? 
Very good, and you? Yeah, very good. We're delighted to have you with us. Um, what's it like? Because obviously, uh, this I guess this is the first time most people will have seen it. What was your first impressions when you got there? Well, coming back here to Limerick is a hate-love experience for me, basically because in 1999 I played for Saracens at Tormund Park when this uh, man next to me uh, scored a try in the last second of the game to beat us. Uh, so that wasn't good. Uh, but coming back to this experience... It's very good. <laughs> very good. Coming back to this experience has been a, a joy, what they've done here. Uh, for for the city and and for rugby, not only Irish rugby, English rugby, world rugby, is quite special. And the storytelling is going to continue. That's what I like about the whole experience is they are telling stories and showcasing great moments in the game. And we know that there are many more great moments that's going to come. So uh, it's not a museum, but it's an experience where you can interactively engage with uh, whatever team you want to and follow players and pick your own player and measure yourself against Johnny Wilkinson's kicks and Fark de Klerk's passing. So I think what they've done here and the generosity um, of, of spirit uh, is, is fabulous. It's quite beautiful that we have you both together because I think, Keith, we asked you to pick your, your best 15 that you played against not too long ago on the show one morning and, and Francois made the cut at number six. Uh, I think you described him then as as uh, still statesman-like, and you, you described that, that, how that moment in 95 with Mandela, was a defining moment for yourself as well? Uh, it was. I mean, look, I, I try not to call him statesman-like in person, because <laughs> any, any boost... Lucky he made the cut, right? <laughs> last, last night when we had a glass of wine, he was abusing me. Yeah, <laughs> it deserved, of course, but um, it's lovely, the rivalry and camaraderie. And actually, the rivalry when you're playing against, and we played against each other for, I suppose, nine or ten years. And um, when you play against each other, you uh, you know you have this huge rivalry and you want to beat them. And um, and you don't get on, and you often don't get on. And but that's respect. It, it is. It's, no, it's, it is. And it's respect for one another. And then you get the chance, as a, a couple of pairs of has-beens, to... Um, you know, to have a glass of wine, to have a conversation, to play a game of golf, to help each other with different things. And Francois has set up an extraordinary foundation uh, called Make a Difference on the back of that statesman-like conversation that he had in 1995. And then you want to be able to help different people do different things. So the friendships that are, have been forged in rivalry last forever. So that's been quite extraordinary. And it's and been a lovely camaraderie. And, and there's been a lovely element here of people who've played with each other, played against each other, um, who've watched other other people play? So we've had a load of the of of the women's team in around, and obviously we haven't played against them. But the conversations are the same, the crack is the same, the camaraderie is the same. It's been pretty fantastic. Now rugby is special in that way, you know. When you and coming back to that word respect, it's the respect for the competitiveness in the beast that's standing across the the field from you. That this guy wants to win as much as we want to win. But where rugby is wonderful is you can then have a competition. It's full on, but afterwards you have a beer and you, and you, and the same with the crowds. I mean, yeah, the crowds can sit next to one another at a rugby game, um, obviously support their team and after the game, shake hands and say, well done uh, and move on. So that's why rugby is for me so special. It's given me so much in my life. Can I uh, just, Francois, maybe my maths are, are right or maybe they're wrong, but it feels to me, uh, if, uh, if my dates are correct, it's literally half your life ago that you won the World Cup. So you've been a World Cup winner for literally half your life. Is that right? 28 years either side of that? Yeah, you're almost there. I'm 56. Um, 
57 now, so your mass is 100%. Well, it was 28. He definitely had some plastic work done. <laughs> purely, purely restorative, Keith. It has been an incredible... You know, I, I, I say this not, not to sound glib. I'm probably one of the most fortunate rugby players in the world to have shared that special moment in our country's history with one of the greatest leaders the world has ever seen. And to try and describe to people what happened in our country, it's just too emotional. It really is too emotional. The stories I hear 28 years later um, is uh, is fascinating, and it, ha- it hasn't stopped. Especially, you know, when I when I travel from Cape Town to Johannesburg and I get on the plane, mostly it'll be black people that say to me, "Good morning, my captain," and then my heart just go, "Wow," because that moment left left a mark um, on on everybody because of hope, because of Mr. Mandela, not because of him and myself and the team. Obviously, we had to play our role. But he came out and supported this team, and, and winning it was special. And that gave the country hope to build um, a, a, a democratic South Africa. You know, to go from apartheid to democracy without a, a, without violence, it's just been because of his leadership, would he? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was it's one of those things. I um, uh, I wasn't part of it because I went to the World Cup. Uh, got injured very quickly in one of it, uh, and but when I was sitting in my hospital bed getting my shoulder reconstructed, that was on the screen. Really? That was one of the last things I saw before I went under under wow. anaesthetic. So, um, and it was look, it was game changing for South Africa, and it was game changing for the game actually, and uh, and it need it kind of needed. It needed it to be on a world stage. That was the world stage, and it turned out perfectly for you when you won at the end. Yeah, what has made it really, really special is Sia um, yeah. and and you know South Africa winning it with a with a black captain has really been important for us. Um, there's so many kids that are coming through that never had the opportunity to play because uh, of various reasons are now getting the opportunity, and you see the talents coming through. It's quite spectacular. Mokazola and Pimpi, look on your arm. You know, you've got a lot of these players tell their stories. And the Sia Kulisi story is incredible story. It's extraordinary. And that again gives, and that's where sport is so powerful. We're going to see it again this year at the Rugby World Cup when everybody is hoping. Rivalry comes back again, <laughs> I think. That's allowed. Yeah. yeah. And on the 28th of, uh, of October, there'll be a, a bunch of. Uh, young men that would have the privilege of being called uh, rugby world champions. It, it's hard to believe, uh, Francois, that Mandela will be 10 years dead, I think, later this year, in December, in fact. So, uh, did I recall correctly that I remember you, you, you talking about hearing that news that he had passed away and, and how it impacted you perhaps more than you had, had felt it would, regardless of the fact that he was sick for some time? Yeah, I actually was at a cricket game in Johannesburg and my phone was off and I got back to the hotel room and I switched my phone on and the first message I got, it was an SMS, was from Philippe Sela, um, one of my great heroes. I played with him at, at, at Saracens, just a superb man. My yeah, he just said to me, I'm so sorry. And the next message was from Abdelatif Benazi. And then I realized Mr. Mandela's passed. So I phoned my, my wife and said to her, we were going to go on holiday, um, that I'm not going to travel with them. Uh, because I'll be at the funeral. And Noreen said, the boys have already said, we're cancelling holiday, we're definitely going. And I then, I said to him, I'm switching off my phone because it's going off, off the hook, it's just ringing. I switched off the phone and I switched on the telly and I surfed the channels. And in South Africa, they, they thought that if Mr. Mandela passes, then there's going to be upheaval, you know, there will be unrest. It was totally the opposite. People spilled out onto the streets 
and they were hugging one another and they were embracing this this beautiful man that uh, that came out of prison after 27 years with uh, with forgiveness in his heart and as i went through all these channels cnn sky bbc it was just the most incredible tributes and i sat there on my bed and i was really tearful um and blessed that i had that privilege to i don't want to say uh, to to get close to it and and it actually happened after the World Cup. So before the World Cup, yes, there were interactions, but it was after the World Cup where just the privilege, my wife and I are having a breakfast with him, um, just talking about stuff, you know, and then he would call us uh, uh, with the boys and we would go and, 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 you know, just have lunch with him and talk about stuff, you know. So this was quite special. Yeah, Francois, I was wondering, like, your, your life obviously changes significantly and you have to be ready for the statesman-like stuff? Because you could have just been a rugby player, but you then had to uh, wear the importance of being world champions and, and foster that relationship with Nelson Mandela. It seems, talking to you today, that you've worn that quite lightly. But I guess there's a, a constant pressure as well at some point in, in, in actually living up to the potential that being South Africa's Rugby World Cup winning captain at that moment has... Um, I, I, it, we have a responsibility um, as as captains. You're leading your country and, and playing for uh, for the British and Irish Lions. You have a responsibility because people look up to you. Um, the young kids uh, um, admire you and they want to play in your position. So there, there's a, a responsibility that you innate that you have from a you know from from the first time that you were given the captaincy to lead your country. And I think I'm no different to you or to any other captain. Uh, in that sense of responsibility. Um, but having touched the great man has, has changed my life, but it's not only my life. If you go and speak to people that have really um, been able to get a little bit closer to Mr. Mandela, he would have changed their lives too. He just had that aura that it's very difficult to explain to people over the radio. Yeah? It's, it's an aura where the first time I had tea with him, after he became president, um, I was I was summoned to tea, and and I tell the story. It's, you'll see it. It's, I was so nervous, and he came out of his office uh, in this booming voice, and I stood up and I said to him, "Good morning, Mr. Mandela," and he said to me, "Hui amor, Francois," in my language, and then I said to him, uh, "How are you?" And he said to me, "Hoe gaan het met your ma and your pa? How's it going with your mom and your dad?" In my language, so it was just incredible. He just disarms you, um, not that you arm, but it makes you feel at peace. Then he touched my hand and he, we, we walked into his office to go and have tea afterwards. And we were talking about, he told me stories about being on Robben Island. He told me stories about the boycotts and about Barcelona, the Olympics. And, but he always wanted to know about me. And then uh, Mary, his, uh, his PA kept on coming into the office saying, There's, because there were, there were presidents waiting to meet him. And, and she said, the time's up. And he would say, I'm talking to my captain. So afterwards, I, I, I left and, and I, I just, when I reflected on it, sitting in the car, um, there was two distinct feelings um, that, that I had. One was that I, I was in the presence of a wise and caring man. And the second one was quite bizarre. I felt safe. I felt really that this leader is a, a true leader, that, that when he speaks, he really wants to follow through. And it's just not rhetoric. And how oftentimes do we get leaders that there's rhetoric but no follow through? But he wasn't. He wasn't like that. He was definitely one that followed through. You carry that for the rest of your life, though. I suppose that's the point I'm, I'm making, and that you 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 didn't 
you didn't keep that to yourself. It would have been very easy to be like, you know, almost burdened by the fact that, all right, I, I have to represent him and I have to represent his community and the community that I've come from and that's going to be difficult for me. But he seemed to give you a, a sense of freedom and embolden you to do that. Yes. Um, for uh, My children, I, it's, it's through your, your, your kids that you learn most. Um, now they've had the opportunity to meet Mr. Mandela um, he gave them Koza names, Mkokeli and Koha. Mkokeli means leader, and that's John's name, and Koha, the brave one, because Stefan asked him. Uh, every time they speak about Mr. Mandela and the interactions that they've had with him, it's just with the greatest of respect. I'm just blessed. I really am lucky to have had that moment um, on, on a podium with him. But there's certain things that will never be in the public domain, you know, really private conversations that we've also had, and that I, I treasure because... I had the opportunity to have really intimate conversations with 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 with, with him. Yeah, we we miss him in South Africa uh, because we're going through some some political turmoil at the moment. Keith, I suppose that's the whole point of the uh, international rugby experience in Limerick is that we get to talk about these stories, and they are definitely rugby stories. They are rugby stories. It's funny we were looking at this and um, we we're going through it yesterday. I. I I haven't been here for four months and we've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes, but, but I haven't been here for four months and deliberately so that I could try and see it in its finished state. And it isn't in its finished state. It is phenomenal. And the interactive elements is fantastic. And the stories and the storytelling and the story building are fantastic. Um, but it'll be a bit more iterative and we'll add more to it and we'll have uh, more personal experiences and more different things that kind of uh, strike a chord with other people. Um, but we've been looking at that idea of, you know, when, when we get rugby players that are in the town or in the country, we want to bring them down here. We want we want them to be able to see what this is about. We want to learn more about them. We want to gather more pieces um, so that this is a living and, and breathing experience. And there has to have elements of... Um, has to have a few elements of um, uh, not museum, but uh, memorabilia and things like that. But this has to be living and breathing. It has to be part and parcel of the city as well. So it, it, it should appeal to rugby fans. It does appeal to rugby fans. Of course it does. It appeals to kids, but it should also appeal to tourists and people who want to have a sense of the idea of a place and the idea of a sport within that place and that context. So it's been... I mean, it's been a labour of love. And I, one of the things I would say that when we started talking to rugby people about it, when, and uh, it includes all of us that are involved in it, it's people gave us their time voluntarily. And it was part of that spirit of the game, that this was something that was required. So, you know, JP has put a huge amount of money into this and has built this as a building. And for the next, let's say, 10 years, I don't know what the life of an experience is, but let's say it's 10 years, this is going to be living and breathing rugby in the city. It will be repurposed to do something else afterwards, but this will be a building for sport, for, for good and glory mm. for, for, for Limerick. So he wanted to build a cathedral to sport, and it was cathedral to, to rugby. They call Limerick the city of spires. You can see them out here. We're up on the sixth floor looking out and across on the, on the top of the rooftops of Limerick. Um, and Limerick needs a bit of extra love as well, and this will be part of the regeneration of the place as well. So important to relive those experiences, and, and it's beautiful that you get to look over Limerick when you do them as well. 
and and not to to bring up the the, the bad experiences for you, Francois and Limerick. But we've had the pleasure, as I said, of Keith uh, talking about how much he enjoyed playing against you. What was it like coming up against that, as you you said, uh, the beast that you have respect for, and and those experiences of playing that that great monster team? Woody's uh, a warrior. You know, he's a warrior. He's a, if he was in South Africa, he would be a Zulu warrior. Um, always, always competitive. You always know you're in for a game. You know, he just hates losing. I hate losing. And that's where, <clears throat> excuse me, that's where the respect comes from is that you know that it's going to be 80 minutes and there's going to be no give. It's just going to be uh, flat out. That's what I love. And when I said hate relationship, it was one of the, I think it's one of the best games that I've played okay. against you. We just went from one side of the field to the other side of the field to the other side of the field. Great memory. The fact that we lost, yeah, it hurt, but. It was, it was gone the next day. That's, that's 23 or 4 years ago. And uh, it's as clean and clear in my mind as it was then. And it was the, the reason we scored the try. I, the hero of that piece is neither of us, it turns out. It was actually Mick Galway. Um, the, uh, I'd made a mistake and he'd scored a try under the post. It was my fault. I was tired. It was 77 minutes. And we were standing underneath the goalposts and Galov pulled all the team in and said, this is what we're going to do now. We're going to win the, the, the kickoff. We're going to hold on to it until we get a penalty. We're going to kick into the touch. We're going to hold on to it again until we get another penalty. We're going to kick it to the corner and we're going to score. And it was as if he was seeing into the future and he just went there and there and there. And one of, one of my former teammates, Nick Walsh, was your scrum half. Yeah. and moved from Harlequins and uh, was almost... Uh, saddening to run through him to score at the end but it was a little flop over I, my memory says you crawled over the line my memory says um, there could have been a penalty not a chance away not a chance yeah the rivalry persists and uh, it's clear you guys really get on very well together Keith are you going to give us a quick little virtual tour there before we wrap no my skills are not the, the best in the world but I'm going to give you a little look out down O'Connell Street in Limerick oh yeah so this is, we're up at the very top here. Oh, scenic, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Nice view. Yeah, we go in there. You're not looking at the shine off the top of my head. makes it <laughs> somewhat. Visible there's, from uh, space. There's Frankie over there. Uh, you can look all the way down to um, to King John's Castle, down over there. I'm not giving you a tour of the place. It's six stories. We've been running up and down this for the last two days, and it's been quite something, I have to say. Uh, the great and the good of World Rugby did show up, not just Francois Pinar, but loads of people. Um, oh, well, Brian O'Driscoll's head just popped in there. He's, yeah, he's, 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 not, he's not allowed to come up here. Uh, Brian O'Driscoll, Brian Squared. We had Brian O'Driscoll. Brian, Brian Squared. Brian yeah. Habana, uh, Martin Johnson, uh, Kira Griffin is, is downstairs mm-hmm. at the moment. Uh, we had, look, it was it was phenomenal, wasn't it? Sean, Fitzy Sean, Fitzy Sean, Fitzy Sean Fitzpatrick. Fitzy. I was trying to, trying to leave Fitzy out of it a little bit. <laughs> there's been, I mean, there's been an awful lot of fun. It has been in some respects, and I have to say, you do get a little bit privileged for, when these things happen, um, but it has been a little bit like a reunion. Yeah. And, um, and that's been pretty cool. Well, you're part of a continuum, and I think that's the whole point of the cathedral to sport as well, that you're part of it and you're, yeah. you're sharing your stories. It's been brilliant to spend some time in your company. My thanks to Keith Wood and to Francois Pinar this morning. Cheers, lads. Cheers, Cheers guys. 21 minutes past eight this morning here. Um, Michael Hill says, I'm not a big rugby fan, but Francois and Keith interview, pure class, great film. Maybe Keith can be in the next one. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'd need to... Um, 
We need to win the World Cup, though. That's the, <laughs> that's the bit. You forget what sport does is that, like, those lads played against each other, as you say, like, a lifetime ago. Literally, for, for, for me, it's a lifetime ago. And yet, they remember those, they remember moments from matches and moments after matches. Forever. And forever, literally. Uh, they remember it today as if it was yesterday. So, it's beautiful to see it in the friendship that, that still persists, clearly. Yeah, the lesson is play sport for as long as you can. Yeah, exactly. And hold on to the memories. You know, you don't appreciate it at the time. I'd say, I'd say a lot of people, sport, sports people feel that way, but um, clearly those lads appreciated it at the time and still do. Uh, Tommy, Paddy Andrews and James O'Donoghue are bringing the football pod to Killarney for a live roadshow tomorrow night. It's Thursday the 4th of May in the Great Southern Hotel with very special guest Mark O'Shea. This is your warning to get your last minute tickets now because there aren't many left. It's officially a sellout, but they've added some extra chairs. Go to offthewall.com forward slash events or search for the football pod live. Killarney, it's all in partnership with AIB. Check out the hashtag the toughest for more to whet the appetite. Here's a clip from the latest episode of the football pod where the lads discussed uh, the future of the blanket defence. The football pod is in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the football, hurling and camogie, all Ireland club championships. Check out the hashtag the toughest for more. Back after these. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. So, some live comments for you. Geronimus Bosch says, Stephen Ireland is pretty arrogant for someone who won nothing. Well, that's not true. He was uh, Manchester City Player of the Year, Geronimus. I think you'll find. He clearly still still enjoys the fact well, that he won that. They're, they're a bunch of good players. Like, it was a star-studded, ex- expensively assembled squad. And the uh, kid who came through the youth system was their best player. 100%. He's got to hold on to those memories. But... Um yeah, he probably regrets not being part of the city team that, that came thereafter. Started lifting titles for fun. But um, what a player in this in a team, as you say, star-studded. Robinho, I'm surprised that Robinho was a player that he that he name-checked. And Robinho's time at City was, was far from great, but clearly in training he impressed, I'm sure. Uh, Michael says, the football pod is excellent. Good dynamic between the lads. We'll be sure to pass that uh, comment on to the three lads. That'll, um, you know, uh, get them supercharged. Uh a little bit of praise in advance of the, the live roadshow. I know they're nervous about it. They've been talking about it for long enough. Uh, PWGC says PWGC was taken as a username uh, altogether. So that's a lot less fun. Still haven't told us what it stands for. PW. <laughs> yeah. Why was it taken as a username? I I um I found myself watching the draw yesterday, Jer, and being fully invested in it on Diego. It, yeah. There, 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 there's a lot of. It's been was a while since I where we did have to watch to it on YouTube as well. Okay. And uh, that's where I got it for sure. Um. But I found myself for the first time being absolutely engrossed in a draw, waiting to see when your county is going to be pulled out and, and who you're going to be with and when the fixtures are going to be. Um, that's the thing I like as well. So we know the dates of those prospective fixtures. So you can kind of plan your summer a little bit. Is there anything to be said for waiting it so that you can't have teams from the same provinces except as a last resort? It's just slightly sickening to have to see Dublin play Kildare again you're like oh my god sick in the hole it would well on the 27th 28th of May Monaghan's first game is away to the Ulster champions which could well be Derry so and I think literally just played Derry Monaghan have Derry Clare and well the Munster runners up Donegal and Donegal Donegal neutral and Clare at home three, three Ulster three out of four Ulster like mini hey, Ulster championship hey. but I was looking forward to playing teams like Sligo or Westmead and teams I'm sure you were yeah. never used to playing teams you were going to beat well not just that but like a weekend away in Sligo Imagine that. Yeah, good, good crack. Good part of the world to go to for a weekend away. I mean, so it turns out we're going to have a neutral game against Donegal, a home game against Clare, and, and, and an away match to Derry or Armagh. Whoever and wins. what what counts as neutral? Like, is that the the Gaelic grounds? Then is that what? Where, Somewhere the, sorry, the athletic grounds. Yeah, not the Gaelic grounds. The athletic grounds are <laughs> Breffney Park or Oma. Right. So, so not exactly. Between. Not exactly. Yeah. We've played a million times before. Is it like 
Would you all like a, would you fancy a weekend in Castlebar? Yeah. Yeah. I'd enjoy that. Killarney. Yeah, yeah. You're all going to Killarney. Everybody's like, oh, it's too far. I can't believe it. Oh, it's Killarney. It's too expensive. Yeah. It's too plastic. <laughs> okay. Croke Park? Um, Down with Croke Park or up with Croke Park? A triple header of of, uh, of games at Croker that don't involve the dubs that is um, neutral. Well, that, yeah, they, they could have done Home Away and Croker. I, uh, definitely, teams that aren't Dublin. I definitely thought that was a, an opportunity. But here's the other thing. I do think it's a big opportunity as well to bring it to to bring the carnival to places that don't get carnival. So, you know, Port Leash, Tullamore, Navin, when uh, the the one in, in Loud is, is done properly. Like, if if there was a game, say, in um, in Clonus mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, Kildare and Donegal, or those teams, or if Kildare and Westmead could play in Because if they play in, in Port Leash or Tullamore, it's like, well, we're there all the time, you know? yeah. Surely, Clonus, the likes of those provincial grounds, will get some of these fixtures. There's so many fixtures to go around that you'd imagine some of the neutral games will be in, in random places. But I don't know. There's so much football. When you look at those games in that first weekend, you've got Munster champions. So probably on that first weekend, I'm I'm going with the the team that's predicted to win each province here. So Kerry Mayo, you'll have Galway Tyrone. You'll have the Munster runners up, which will be Clare against Donegal, and you'll have Sligo Kildare. Really good games, like. Yeah, and the thing is, the Kerry Mayo game is obviously the one that they're going to televise, but the Sligo Kildare game is the one with the most riding on it because it's got the jeopardy. If Sligo were to turn Kildare over, for example, then they're they're basically through. The winners of that game are going to go through to the uh, preliminary round. You basically need to win one game. Much, yeah. If you're the if you're the third and fourth best teams in the group, the top two teams are definitely going to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's really only one game of Jeopardy and it's going to happen in that first weekend for Sligo and Kildare you would say so uh, that'll be a big game with a lot riding on it and then still so Kildare have Dublin at home I think Kildare's home venue might be Croke Park yeah. but I'm not sure I, don't, I haven't um, seen that confirmed anywhere just yet but it'll be interesting to see where the fixtures are and there is a possibility then Dublin will have three games in Croke Park which ah, seems yeah. like It is a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, Could we maybe, you know, if if that is the case, could could there be asked to maybe move their home venue to Port Leash or somewhere else? Mm. I know you want this, but is there any way that we just to, like... Get them out of the city. Take them out of the pale for once. Jesus, lads, if anyone from the GA is watching... Good chunk of Kildare's in the pale too. Well, it's true, yeah, yeah. You lads aren't too far away. And the accents are fairly similar as well at times. Um, I do like the fact that... uh, the, maybe not a thigh to be fair uh, South Kildare is a bit different the, the, I do look, like the fact that the fixture weekends have been announced I'm going to turn into a festival guy this summer I've decided Jer so uh, knowing which weekends you have to dedicate to your county and which weekends you don't it's quite important to a lot of people even planning summer holidays I, this might sound facetious and like I'm joking here but I'm actually not so many families in Monon and counties across the country want to plan holidays around when or not their county are playing so if you see now for example that you're off for a week or two you can easily plan a holiday away makes sense is there a week off in, in between I don't think there are so well, well the first weekend is uh, oh. 20th 21st of May of 27th 28th yeah it depending on which county is which uh, and how far you reach exactly yeah, yeah, yeah but at least you'll know for a few weeks what your what your plans are which is, which is unlike previous years you, you might have had that luxury with the Super 8s but generally speaking you're waiting to see if your county wins or loses in, in the problems is to see where, how far you'll go Alright, maybe we'll, uh, we'll run you through the papers for a few minutes because they're, they're busy today and there's no consensus about what the main stories are Time for the papers
Right. Uh, Sexton, I'll be ready for the World Cup is the back page headline on the Irish Independent. We had the story. Ashling O'Reilly was down yesterday. He was uh, at the International Rugby Experience in Limerick and was uh, talking about uh, how he expects to be back for pre-season. So he's not going to make any more games for Leinster this year, but um, a similar injury he had to van der Fleer and uh, Van der Fleer got back in record time in nine or ten weeks. So uh, Sexton won't. Uh, he's, he's told that age is... Um, one of the indicators for that. Mm. Sorry, the other big news there is that um, Michael Verney is reporting that Keane Lynch will return to training next week and will be ready for the Tipperary clash. And the other news is that uh, the Sean Finn injury is not as bad as initially feared, although I think that is still TBC with um, with scan to come. Uh, Kerry versus Mayo opener on the cards. That'll be the one that... You know, hopefully there'll be big games in the first week, big games second week, big games third week, big games week mm-hmm. four that actually keeps the whole thing going. And then the Talton Cup groups, which we haven't really spoken about yet. Yeah. Um, so it's They're juicy Cav- enough, yeah. Cavan, Offaly, Leash and London. Me, Down, Tipperary and Waterford. You can see Tipperary, if they're able to roll, giving themselves some hope against me no matter where that game is given the difficulties me they're in at the moment and down you would say are probably favourites yeah. to come out of that group it's Limerick Wicklow Longford and Carlo Wicklow's form is really excellent it turns out like turns out Kildare aren't bad and Wicklow pushed them to the pin of their collar mm-hmm. um, Limerick pushed Clare to the pin of their collar and after that it's a bit of an unknown about Longford and Carlo and then group four is, is tricky it's Fermanagh Antrim Wexford and Leitrim and Leitrim had high hopes this year that they weren't uh, actually going to be in the Telton because of the side of the draw they were in so we'll see with that one um, Hurling Unites as Dylan Quirk as remembered that was the other big launch that happened yesterday Community Flocks to Clonulty Ross Moore GA Club for the launch of the Dylan Quirk Foundation fundraising drive all of the managers showed up for that one as well and um, that was uh, hugely important that they did and then obviously all the English papers are reporting on the 3-1 win for Manchester City sorry for Arsenal rather against Chelsea last night that um, puts Arsenal ahead of Manchester City at the top of the table there uh, now we are turning our attention to hurling at 8.33 this morning a reminder OTB AM is live with Gillette Labs got the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night edition available now Colin Galvin former Clare Hurler joins us Colin good morning to you how are you? Good how are you? Yeah pretty good uh, very good uh, excited time for Clare Hurling given the quality of the performance that they put in against Limerick did you see it coming? Yeah, it was, um, no to be honest I didn't uh, after a performance against Tip I was sort of doubting them a small little bit I suppose as many people did um, but after that performance it was unbelievable um, he was sitting in the stadium and all the Clare supporters were roaring and shouting I was uh, a bit jealous not to be on the field to be fair Um but yeah, it's great, great, great turnout, great uh, results, and um, just overall a great day. Uh, was there a change in approach from the Tipperary game that was significant, or was it just that uh, the team took a bit of confidence from going well early on in the match? I, I guess what I'm saying, was there a significant tactical tweak from the first day out? I think it was just more of an um, attack-minded uh, approach, and the backs seemed to be a lot tighter. Um, which enabled the forwards then to be able to push on and get scores that maybe they weren't able to get the, the week before. So, you know, it's, it's only a seven-day turnaround. So, no, it's actually a six-day turnaround. So, it was Sunday to Saturday. So, um, for them to be able to float that performance was unbelievable. Um, you'd like to Ryan Taylor, David McInerney, 
you know, um, John Conlon, uh, centre back, just all pushed up in their men and just, just, just made it very hard for the, I suppose, the limited backs to get a score, um, which is, which is very hard to do. Um, you know, Aaron Glenn missed a couple of easy frees, probably, um, same with Darren Burns. But overall, it was just, it was a great performance overall for the whole team. Yeah. So what went wrong against Tipperary then in retrospect, apart from the self-inflicted problem with the goals? Yeah, that didn't help. We gave away two fairly easy, e- easy enough goals. But, um, I just don't think the, the, the backs were pushed up hard enough on the, on the forwards of Tipperary. Um, when they did do it against Limerick, it paid off. Um, they probably pushed up in the likes of Kyle Hayes and Darren Burns as well in the forwards. They made him run everywhere. You saw Shane Mean coming on. He was, he was running over and back the field. Cause I'd say he's a nightmare to mark. So, but, um, yeah, just, just pushing up, I think made a big, big, big difference in our play anyway. I, I'm wondering as well, like, is, is the fact that, Clare needed to win to keep their championship hopes alive and, and got the win. Like I'm sure that's a, a good sign, Colin. You, you have that big game in a couple of weeks as well against Waterford. That'll be in Thurles, of course, neutral venue. But the fact that Clare got the job done with a little bit of jeopardy as well is a good sign? Yeah, probably, yeah. Um, you know, they knew, they knew they had to, to at least draw, if not win the game. So for them to be able to do that was savage. Um as you said, playing Watford and Turles is going to be another big game. You have to win that as well. So um, I, I've, I think they're going to beat Watford, hopefully, anyway. Um, but at the same time, you just don't know. With this much championship so tight and everyone's so good at this level, uh, it's going to be a tough game. But after after coming out, walking out of Gaelic Grounds last day, I was very happy. Yeah. Decent spread of scorers for, for Clare as well, which is definitely a positive for, for Brian Lohan. Even in the first half, you had great scores from Tony Kelly and, and uh, Aidan McCarthy and Mark Rogers, among others. That's that's something that, that clearly, to win an All-Ireland, to win a Munster Championship as well, you need people popping over from, from all sorts of angles. So that's definitely a positive for Brian Lohan. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. You know, you'd, the amount of, amount of scores that the lads got from out the field was great, but um, it was their... It, I, thought, I thought it was their work rate was probably... Set them apart, to be honest, Joe. Um, you looked at Shane Donnelly, he didn't score a whole lot, but my God, the, the work that that man did, and same with Ryan Taylor. Um, but if we can get a few more goals in our in our system, we'll be we'll be happy. Anyway. The uh, the question now as to where Limerick are at kind of came up after the match, and John Kiley was talking. We spoke to Sarah O'Donovan yesterday about how John Kiley was saying it was a very downbeat Limerick dressing room, which. I guess sets a fire under under their arses for the rest of the season, which could lead to to worrying things for for everyone else. Is this something? Do you think that opens up the championship a little bit? This result, or do you think Limerick will just push on from here? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, it probably like in in one way it was great to get the win, but it probably it probably did wake them up a small little bit. You know, um, like the, the other thing about us is like Keane Lynch came off injured, uh, Sean Finn went down at half time. Um, so there are two massive losses for them I know Mike Casey comes in full back he's a savage full back as well so they won't be too worried about that but like Keane Keane is their sort of uh, playmaker in a way so um, they'd be worried about, enough about that Grod Higgery and Kamal is a sub so were they playing their full card I don't think so but I don't think to be overly worried I think John Kelly has a few, a few tricks up his sleeve yet 
Um, I'll talk a bit more about Limerick in a moment but in terms of Clare and what they've learned from last season where obviously they were involved in one of the best games that we've ever seen in the uh, Munster final against Limerick the one that went to extra time uh, ultimately they fall flat against Kilkenny in the semi-final and there was no specific reason I don't I don't think we ever anyway heard afterwards about something um, and I wouldn't say they're that far away from Kilkenny really like the, you know there's no way they're that close to Limerick and, and we've just seen them beat Limerick and uh, is that still going to hang over Clare do you think until they get out of Munster and beat a Galway Oracle Kenny and just go okay uh, there's, a, there's two championships here whether or not you win or lose in Munster, you, they have to park that and then go on and, and take the All Ireland series separate. Um, no, I don't think so. Um, Brian Nolan's very uh, level-headed man. He he knows what he's doing. Um, like we, I we had a little day against Tipperary. There's no denying that um, we just didn't perform. That was simple as. But I'd say. They got so hyped up for that limited game. I just hope it doesn't take it out of them. Um, I I really like it was such a big game for them to win inside in the Gaelic grounds against Limerick was just massive, and like sitting in the stands to watch that was unreal. Um, I think they're going to bounce on from that hopefully, um, and push on. But I don't think no. I, look, it was just a bad day against Tipperary as well. You know, it was just to let we were trying to get ahead. Every time we got the ball, but um, we left two soft balls, whatever, and killed us. And, and the Kilkenny game last year was hanging over the team in terms of championship performances. You put that back to back with the Tipperary game, and you're like, "Oh Jesus, uh, what's happened here?" And then all of a sudden, this performance against Limerick—it it absolutely doesn't come from nowhere because their performance against Limerick have been excellent in recent years. But it's it's very important to have stopped that rot and now begin anew. And so suddenly, the next game is absolutely massive because if they win that, then they're definitely going to qualify uh, for the uh, All Ireland series at the very least. And you'd give them a great chance of qualifying for the Munster final. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, like players don't need to be told that either. They 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 know themselves. Like they know what they have to do, and they know that they need a big performance the next day um, for any hope of qualifying for the Munster final, as you said. Um, but from such a high, try and keep it going is going to be hard for them, maybe. But um, I have no, I've I've great faith in them. And that they will do that because the players are there. I I actually watching uh, Dave McNerney he walked off the field nearly five minutes after the, the final whistle. He wouldn't even talk to the supporters, nothing. He walked straight into the restroom because he he knows what has to be done. So that's a massive massive uh, mindset to have uh, for him. He knows that Sunday uh, a must championship one win. Um, so for him, he, I was watching him. It was actually it was mad myself. I think it was Malone as well. Carl Malone walked into the dressing room straight away, and um, they know what's, what has to be done. Um, they know, they're not they're not silly. They've been around a long time, so that was a great uh, sign for me. Anyway, that they know what the, the the next day is a big day as well. How important is Brian Lohan in, in in kind of setting up that mindset, Column, you, You're a man who would have shared a dressing room as well uh, with Brian as manager, and I know he's probably a man of few words, but when he does speak, you listen. Absolutely, yeah. Um, he's a very quiet uh, guy when it comes to talking outside of uh, training, but uh, when he's inside there, Jesus, does does everyone listen? Absolutely, yeah. Um, really nice guy. Um, just very very fair. 
he'll um he tell you what he's thinking and there's no there's no bull about him. Um when he wants you to do a job he lets you know. When he doesn't want you to do a job, he lets you know. Um just just a really really sound solid guy. How will the players who are part of the team ignore all of the noise about the fact that it's Davy next time up? Um, do you know what? The team is so young now that a lot of them wouldn't have actually trained under Davy. Bert, Tony, John, um, Davy, uh, maybe one or two more, but that's it. Sods. Um, the rest wouldn't have played under him. They're all so young. Um, so that, that won't affect them at all. They will have everybody in the in the county coming up to them and going, oh, it's Davy next, Davy next, Davy next. How are you going to go against Davy? <laughs> no, they're probably worried about the sweeper, I'd say. If anything <laughs> <laughs> comes up. No, um, look, they, they won't be worried about that at all. They, look, Davy, Davy done a massive, in my career as well, done a massive um, favour to us. He was a great manager too. You know, his heart's in the right place and stuff like that. So, to be no, to be no uh, bad, bad, but aroma around that anyway but um, look it'll be an interesting game they're going to set up and you know um, we'll be going out to win the game anyway hopefully and our forwards are flying at the moment so yeah. it'll be interesting who picks up who I have one last question you, you talked there about um, Kyle Hayes and Dermot Burns and what Clare did to try and uh, diminish their impact on the game and it, it's clear they managed that so do you think there's a template there can other teams do what Clare did or was it specific to the talent that Clare have at their disposal? Well, it's, it's a bit of both really. Um, you try and go Mark Tony one-on-one, best luck to because uh, he'll be roaming around the field. If you do the same to Shannon Donald, best luck as well because like you can set up uh, a defender if you want if you, in front of them, but the lads are well able to take points from outside as well. So you like the likes of David Shirls, you'd likes of um Dermot Dermot um Dermot O'Connor and you have um just John Conlon as well as it will take points from out of the field. So you either set a sit a man back in front of the full forward line or you don't. Um it'd be interest very interesting to see what happens anyway. All right. Good stuff having you with us this morning, Colin. Thanks so many for joining us. No better, thank you. It's uh, Colin Galvin, an all other winner with uh, Claire in his time. I'm just looking at the odds here. Clare are now 10-1 to 1 to win the All-Ireland. Limerick are still odds-on favourites. 6-4 to 4 on at this stage. Uh, it's funny how one win, you know. Mm. Actually, I, I don't know what price Clare were heading into last weekend. But uh, there was a good chance they weren't going to make the All-Ireland series. There's still a chance they don't make the All-Ireland series. Mm. You know, like they, they have no gimmies left. But they've won on paper the hardest game. And, a few troubles uh, at Waterford as well after that game against Cork and, and the fact that Waterford don't have the home advantage uh, given all the work that's going on in there and it's going to be in Thurless gives Clare a bit more of a hope you'd imagine as well in that game so I'd fancy Clare to win that one and progress you would you definitely would um, so yeah uh, look plenty more to talk about when it comes to the hurling in the meantime at 8.46 Carl Milani is with us Carl good morning to you how are you lads how's it going what is going on well we're waiting for Big Sam to be appointed uh, it's been a turbulent 24 hours or so but no official confirmation from, from Leeds United about uh, Sam Allardyce's appointment as manager Javi Grazia is set to exit Elland Road after just uh, two and a half months 
in charge. A couple of games in the Premier League tonight. Liverpool against Fulham and Manchester City can go up to the top of the table again if they beat West Ham at the Etihad Stadium. Arsenal returning to the summit after their 3-1 win over Chelsea last night. Uh, Chelsea have the chance, meanwhile, to close the gap on WSL leaders Manchester United to four points this evening. They play Liverpool tonight and kick off for that one's at a quarter past seven. Rory McIlroy says he took a break from golf for his mental and emotional well-being. The four-time major winner returns to action tomorrow at the Wells Fargo Championship. He take the, took the last three weeks off after missing the cut at the Masters and he withdrew from the RBC Heritage event. In Gaelic Games, uh, Clare through to the Munster Minor Hurling Final. They beat Limerick by six points in Ennis last night. A couple of games in the Leinster Minor Championship in football this evening. Wicklow face Loud and Wexford play Leash in this racing today at Gorham Park where the first is off at 10 to 5. Uh, Sligo happy or unhappy with the draw? Oh, happy, yeah. Um, Kildare at home in the first match I think is a very... Gimme. Winnable game? Well, it's a winnable game, yeah. Um, actually, have quite a good record against Kildare in yes. the Championship over the last 20 years or so. Yeah. so. Is it twice in the qualifiers? Definitely beat them in 0-1 was the big one in Crow Park and uh, beat them in Markovic Park in a qualifier four or five years later. And I think I remember a league win um, in Newbridge as well not too long ago. So uh, that's one they'll be targeting. But look, at I mean... Um, it's it's great to see Sligo in the mix with the, the bigger counties and, and get in Dublin, I think, in a neutral venue is a help rather than playing them in Crow Park. Black versus white. Where, so we, do we know? So it'll be, where will the game be? Uh, it's a well, home game for Sligo, isn't it? Uh, Sligo play Kildare at home. Yeah. They play Roscommon in Hyde Park and I think the Dublin match is going to be, well, Dublin or Loud is going to be in a neutral venue. So could that neutral venue still be Croke Park? It could be, couldn't it? Uh, potentially, I think the Irish Independent this morning. I think they were saying maybe uh, Pork Sean McGermott and Carrick and Shannon would make sense, or uh, maybe even Longford somewhere it halfway. Makes sense. It doesn't necessarily it's mean it's going to happen. Yeah, uh, whether the, well, like they they might go for double headers maybe in the last round of fixtures. I'm not sure uh, if they do, depending on who's in the games, obviously. Um, but. Um, I think that the new format, generally speaking, has thrown up a lot of interesting ties. I think Mayo and Kerry obviously is a blockbuster game in the first weekend, and then um, you know the the, the Ulster flavour to Group Four mm. uh, is pretty spicy. It's kind of annoying, though. I'm used to play like from, certainly. I don't, I, and someone in the in the comments is an Armagh fan who has no desire to play Monaghan in a, in a group game. Monaghan have no, yeah. no desire to play them back. Yeah, we've just played Derry, so if Derry win Ulster, we'll play them again in the first match away. And then Donegal as well. Ah, these are teams that were like they're so used to playing. Clare is the only little niche yeah. match there. We never get the chance to play Clare. Yeah. Because uh, of course Monaghan have been in Division One this whole time that Clare have been in Division Two. So uh, yeah, it throws up some interesting ties, but um, you kind of want more of the the random matches like Kildare and Sligo, as you say. That's that's a fixture that doesn't happen too often. Yeah, um, and I think yeah, it's it's good for counties that maybe haven't had traditional success in their own provinces to be free of the shackles of the provincial system and play counties that are outside the their province and that they don't maybe have the mental baggage against. Um, but then again, you also have the local rivalry aspect as well. So there's like a nice mixture, I think, across the, the draw. And then the Talisman Cup draw as well threw up a lot of interesting ties. So I think, you know, it's going to catch a lot of us off guard in terms of how this is going to pan out and how the squads of the various counties is going to be stretched over the four or five week period of the group stage. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how it pans out. And then for teams with, with thinner squads, the impact of injuries with so many games yeah. at a high intensity level in a short space of time. Yeah, so that's all still a big TBC. impact. Yeah, and if anybody gets their periodization wrong, then somebody could be completely undercooked in one of these games and you might see a, a wallop. And that shouldn't happen. There should be enough signs in all the teams at this stage that that won't be the case. But uh, yeah, this is, this we could have, this could, it could be like this all the time. <laughs> Should be. Could have fun. Could be. Right. Uh, good stuff, Carl. Thanks, Thanks very much for that.
8.50. Anthony Moyes is with us. Anthony, good morning to you. Morning, gents. How are we? Are we going to do the Talton Cup draw first and how we're at me down Tipperary and Waterford? It's, uh, it's off-Broadway, I believe they call this. <laughs> yeah thanks Jerry yeah uh, yeah listen it's great as you said it's 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 going to be a festival of football um, you know and uh, some interesting ties all over the place I think you know Mead will well they'll be happy enough uh, down or in there you may as well meet down early um, you know because you're probably going to meet them later on uh, potentially uh, they, the two of them would probably be seen as, as, as two of the stronger uh, teams obviously in it uh, gives me obviously time over the last number of weeks to, to get themselves sorted and to try and you know come up with some kind of a plan a la Kildare to, uh, to change their style and uh, show something different in the Talton Cup because that's what's needed Yeah let's talk about the dubs. Well, we we start there. Um, it's one of the closest games they've had in Leinster in a meaningful contest in a long time, and I don't know if it gives loud comfort or hope that they might be able to do something against them, or at least put them to the pin of their collar in a Leinster final in a way that you know we would have just expected uh, the dubs to crush Kildare the way they did last year, and then the loud game, the spread would be ten to twelve points, and we'd all you know watch for fifteen minutes and then turn away and watch something else and go about our lives, but. Um, that doesn't seem we can't we can't quite take our eyes off this Dublin team at the moment. Yeah, there's a couple of things on it. Um, I think Kildare first of all learned obviously from last year, um, and they showed us something different, which was you know fair play to the management team and the players to be able to adapt. Um, they showed sprinkles of it during the league, but no one probably thought that they were going to come with that kind of a game plan, which essentially is the game plan of modern football. You know, to be prepared to have players behind the ball, to be able to break at speed. Um, and you know, if you remember last year, Jer, where they were caught very badly with 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 some you know tracking runners being very open at the back and they conceded those goals and then all of a sudden the stuffing was knocked out of them very early. This year they made sure that they stayed in the game um, and the only fault they probably had is in, in that attritional type of game which takes a lot in Crow Park, especially when you're not necessarily used to it, you have to make sure that you make use of every single scoring chance you get in those kind of 15-20 minutes near the death of the game, so kind of 50 minutes to 65 minutes and unfortunately for Kildare they dropped a number of balls short they made a couple of bad choices which came down the far end of the field and Dublin tagged on so look they learn from that but I thought it was a, it, it was you know you could see the devastation in the Kildare players after the match they, you know you haven't seen a Leinster team do that against Dublin in, in the last number of years where they were absolutely out on their feet and they were sick you know because they knew themselves that they had a game plan ready for Dublin the Dublin thing is, is strange I think you know, I heard you boys talking about it, and it's very, very true. It, it's getting kind of like, you know, a premiership team and premiership setups now who've got Champions League, you've got the premiership. You, you need that squad depth and you need to be able to rotate players. And there's no doubt about it, Dublin are rotating players. Like I'd say Desi tried a couple of fellas. He nearly got caught in it. Um, and there is a sound of a system where you're seeing this rotation going on with a number of guys. Um, and, you know, he's resting somebody some of the shall we say more experienced fellas he's bringing new fellas in um, and he, even he's rotating certain fellas in certain positions and I'd say he obviously has one eye on well you know we've got the, we've got the, we've got the, the games to come in the All-Ireland Series and I want to be able to make sure that I have depth and I have fellas who've got experience who can come on uh, 
on in the white heat and know how to dig out a game. So that game will massively stand to those fellas who came on or, uh, and who started that game because it was a real battle. Um, but, you know, I don't think they showed us anything majorly different, Dublin. Um, patience again. You know, McCaffrey made a big, big impact when he came on. Um, and, you know, I don't know whether they're holding them in reserve or again, it's this kind of rotation thing. But I would expect that when it comes to the business end of things, that, that McCaffrey will more than likely start uh, rather than be, be, be an impact player. Michael Fitzsimons wasn't in the squad the first day, wasn't in the squad the second day, has been playing club football. Uh, is that, again, somebody who they're just getting game time into and managing? Because I still would have said that at the end of last year and even in the league that he was one of their best and most important given the experience that he has defenders. But there's been no... No words, official or otherwise. Um, would you? Uh, is is the Michael Simon's era over? Do you think, or is that like we have to wait and see? Yeah, I haven't heard anything, Jared. To be honest, so they've been keeping it fairly close. They, they they seem to be managing that situation of keeping cards close to their chest uh, pretty well over the last uh, uh, three to four months, especially with the Cluxon thing. So I, I'm not look. He's he's obviously a massively experienced fella. So you would expect, even if things aren't going right for him on the pitch, uh, that they would have him around the dressing room. Um, I'm surprised. Now he didn't he didn't have a massively fantastic campaign in the league but still yeah they might be just in a situation where they're trying to get game time in, into him and, and bring him back but you know what they're giving younger guys uh, a chance um, and they're, and, they're, and they're, as I said they're sprinkling the team with different guy, fellas in different positions um, we spoke before last week like Pascal getting in Kilkenny kind of going to the bench um, but I would be fully I would fully expect Jared, that when, once, once as I say it comes to the crunch matches they'll load that team up as much as possible with the bigger names I had to say I was surprised that Cluxton started um, I, I didn't think that that was going to happen I completely called that wrong I thought that he was there to back up and be a mature presence around the place it's very hard to see him coming out of the team now that he's in the team although Desi did say that they were going to rotate for a period of time but it feels like when the big games come that Cluxton is going to be their keeper yeah, well, you know, um, I was speaking to Evan Comerford about a week or so before the game or two weeks ago, and he was just saying, you know, he, he's kind of back now, uh, but he was saying, listen, I have to win back my place. So he says, I've two ahead of me, you know, and that's just that's just the way it is. So O'Hanlon, I'd say, will feel pretty, pretty pissed off, I, I would imagine, because I don't think he's really put a foot wrong in the league. Um, I thought he played really well. I thought his kickouts were excellent. But it just shows you the quality, obviously. I think it is a smart move, but is it is it a kind of a, oh, we're doing this, but really we're actually doing this just to get him back in the team? Um, they want, obviously, they, they realise the importance of goalkeeper. And listen, Cluxon put not, did nothing wrong. You know, again, his restarts, his kickouts, I think he had a 100% record. Um, you know, he made a couple of saves that weren't that weren't massively difficult but he was still there a presence on the high ball he didn't put a foot wrong Jer so um, would teams trying to target him well I don't think there's you know you, you get much you get much uh, uh, return from targeting him to be honest so um, but it just it just creates lots more competition I suppose in a, in, a, in a position that they know is very very important we saw a few chinks in the in the Dublin armour Anthony as well that, that maybe going forward some teams will look to look to exploit like the the shot selection at times, uh, and, and shot selection has been something that's been tantamount in, in this Dublin team success over the years, but at times, especially in the first half, you were seeing them taking shots where they ordinarily wouldn't take on, even misses from people like Brian Fenton that you would never ordinarily see. 
there was a bit of sloppiness, Shane, but I think that was also borne out from the fact that you know Kildare were putting a massive amount of pressure on the shot, on the shot, on the on, on the shooter. Um, they were hunting in packs. They were they were getting, and I'd say as well. You know, Desi can say that they prepared and they knew that that last year's game was probably an anomaly against Kildare, but I don't think they probably thought that Kildare would set up as defensive as they did. So it was probably a bit of a shock to the system for them. Um, they probably did get caught a bit cold. You know, like players are just you know they're 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 like all of us, so they probably went in. And even though you can do all the prep during the week, in the back of their mind, they're probably saying, ah, you know, it's Kildare, it's Leinster Championship. You know, we should beat this and we'll kick on and, and, and we'll win it and we'll see it out so th- it is hard to let that mindset uh, to, to prevent it from coming in in some shape or form um, now all, all it needs to come in is one or two percent and it can have an effect on your performance it can have an effect on your decision making it can have an effect on how you know kind of uh, I suppose how, how efficient you are with the ball and whether you're sloppy or not um, and certainly that that was evident in that game you know as you say bad decision making fellas uh, taking the wrong shots you know, uh, probably then a bit of apprehension coming into the play, trying to force things. But certainly in that, as I said, that 15, 20 minute spell in the second half where they really started to grind and go through the gears and they started to apply the pressure. That was the team that we that we've that we've been been accustomed to. But, you know, at the same time, they were lucky. You know, they could have been caught. Um, would he have been that upset with them being caught? probably not I think I would have probably given them the kick up the arse that they probably needed then going in and kind of setting themselves up for as I said the, 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 the Sam Maguire series What did you make of Glenn Ryan's comments after the match uh, not a fair crack of the whip teams playing the dubs in Crook Park this is a conversation that seems to come up all the time but uh, continues Yeah you know like I mean, I I think he has a point, and 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 uh, you know, some people with say sour grapes, and people can talk about everything else. Like there is there is a familiarity in there. You know, I thankfully you know during my career played in there a, 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 a enough times, and what ends up happening is you get your same spot in the dressing room. Um, you know, it becomes like when I played in Avon, you've your you've your own spot. The same, the main players have their own spot. You kind of walk over to the same spot you're in there every year. I would imagine Dublin are very very you know used to that. You have the same guys saying hello to you on the way in most of them are Dublin lads from clubs around so they'd be high-fiving the Dublin players coming in well they'd be respectful for other teams but there's not the same kind of camaraderie and welcome shall we say you know so there is most definitely a feel that when the Dublin players come in they're coming into their home ground um, it's absolutely I don't think I don't think over my career of 13 or whatever years we played Dublin in Parnell Park I think we may have played them once or twice in Parnell Park um, maybe once um, so so there is there is a familiarity with it. There is a sense of that you're coming into their house. Um, now you can use that, of course, because it's there's nothing better than going in and ransacking someone's house. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> at times you want to go in. <laughs> That's not a personal thing. But I was going to say, but, is that cut? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Steady. yeah. Don't ever invite me over. <laughs> but no, but there is a thing whereby you know it is great to go in and get them in there in the, on their patch, and it's certainly that kind of a, a, a sense when you go in there. You know, uh, do they get away with a bit more on the sideline? Do they get away with a bit more? Look, the familiarity allows. Them I suppose to push the boundaries as, uh, 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 slightly um, and you know I think he has a point you bring that match to 
wherever, Port Leash, Tullamore, even the players from taking shots, there's a familiarity with knowing where you are on the pitch, knowing where you are when you just turn, swing the ball over, and knowing where you are with, with exactly how far out I can take my shot, my distance, all that. Um, and when you're in a new field, it takes a while to get used to that, but yeah. not a grow. I do think, though... Um so Colin Keyes is writing today in The Independent saying that it's unlikely that the CCCC would fix Croke Park as a neutral venue for Dublin if uh, if it was to be Dublin-Galway or indeed if um, it ends up being uh, the beaten team in Connacht that they're not going to fix Croke Park as a neutral venue for Dublin. However, they could fix Croke Park as a neutral venue for Dublin and that's the bit that's bullshit. Like the fact that it's an option that this is a neutral venue for Dublin. And we're all pretending that, oh, their home ground is Parnell Park. It's like, it's not. Like, we, we know their home ground is, is, is Croke Park. We just know it. Like, if it's demonstrably true, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. But we're all like, oh, oh, but, you know, there's a possibility that maybe <laughs> Parnell Park is actually spiritually there. It's like, it's that. So I just feel like we tie ourselves yeah. in knots here and go, no, Dublin can't have a home neutral game. It can't have a neutral game at Croke Park. It has to be outside. And everybody goes, okay, grant. I don't even think the Dubs would care that much. No, they wouldn't. I, actually, I, I don't think the supporters would care that much. And the, the players certainly wouldn't care that much. They, they wouldn't mind going on the road. Um, as a matter of fact, they'd enjoy it. It would just throw up a different challenge for them. You know, and this kind of argument about, you know, revenue. And so, like, I think I think I read uh, and I heard, like, I mean, from a very good source that I think it takes about 40K, 40,000 people to be in Crow Park for it to be, you know, kind of breaking even. Um, well, there's some games, there's a lot of games that Dublin have played over the last number of years that you would say well 25 30,000 even with a double header that you could just switch around and bring it to a more provincial venue uh, and get even you know a bit more vibe and a bit more atmosphere around it we haven't um, got Tommy this week he's on holiday so we're not doing power rankings but if we were it feels like <laughs> Jeez, you're not doing it with me so <laughs> <laughs> it feels like uh, Derry would be a big risers um, that actually the performance in the league final against Dublin was a match that they scratched you know when Glass had like a tiny twinge they're like off you come and they didn't risk Chrissy McKay Chrissy McKay has been outstanding again like we could basically pencil in him as another all-star this year and you'd be getting close to putting Glass in as well at this point that actually they did the thing in the league they needed to do which was get promoted and then they immediately focused and refocused on what the target was and the Dublin game was an opportunity for them to come down familiarise themselves okay this is where we're going to sit when we get back down here later on lads but um, you know I, I would not read as much into that Dublin game now as I did at the time yeah I think that's fair to say Ger. Um you know, they, I think they were efficient in in how they played at the weekend. I think Monaghan uh, helped that a lot. I think they played into their hands. Um, I was surprised at how Monaghan changed things up. Monaghan were brave uh, the week previous in leaving McManus up up up, up top um, and and essentially saying, "Listen, we'll do what we need to do to get you the ball, and when we get up there, we'll we'll try to execute and be as efficient as possible in 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 our in our in our, in our forward area." Um, uh, it, 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 they dropped back and I think they were spooked by Derry so they changed their game a bit but what happened was they brought forwards back such as Conor McManus um, into a defensive area where they're not very comfortable and Derry exposed that massively uh, like even the goal you can see I think it's McCluskey he, he, he eyes McManus in front of him and he says right I'll have a go at this and he just drops his shoulder and goes past him now probably a, a question on steps etc but we've had that numerous t- times already this year but I think Derry um, 
I wouldn't say Rory Gallagher would be too happy. I think there was something out on Twitter about uh, uh, four different styles of attack that they used with different names on it. Um, so that's out there for everybody to see. But like, look, there's there's something knowing what they're going to do. The second thing is trying to stop it. Um, and the one thing about them is is that they are uh, they they're learning and adapting all the time all the time um, and, and like kind of a la Armagh they, they adapt their game to the specific team that they're playing against I thought what they're trying to do especially since that Dublin game is get scores much more from outside the arc um, have an ability to kick long range points have an ability to bring McGuigan what, one thing they do really really well and it stops a, de- a, a, a very defensive team is that they load their forwards into the forward line. So they literally will have three or four forwards literally hugging the end line. And then they bring another kind of bank of forwards as well in, say, between the end line and, say, the 30-meter line. So what that does is it means that all the defenders inside are actually picked up. So now, instead of you marking space and being able to tackle somebody as they come, you actually have a man. So you're worried about this guy. Now, of course, what that does is, is as you move and create space, the runners who are coming in, you now have a decision to make. Do I take the runner? Do I actually stay with my man? And as soon as you turn your your eyes, kind of like basketball, and you look to go to the runner, guys come on the loop. And if you watch them over and over again, they get so many scores from that. They also load up one side. They switch the ball to the far side very effectively. They're really they're, – look, they're very adept at uh, Jer. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're going to take a lot of stopping. It, I think it's going to be a really, really cracking Ulster final, by the way. And it's amazing to think that I think it's Armagh's first since – 2004 or 2006 or something like that so you know I think Armagh as well have a very smart management team and 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 they throughout the league you know because sometimes people are saying oh Jesus you know why aren't Armagh playing this, this style that style um, Armagh have adapted as well I think it's been a little bit of horses for courses and also they've been they've been using their panel depth you know there's a couple of fellas there that probably said why aren't isn't this guy starting but they've been trying to you know get depth in their squad um, and I think you know it won't be it won't go all of Derry's I think it's going to be a very very tactical battle um, because if you look at Armagh at the weekend they, they found a weakness in down and they exposed it really really unbelievably well the intensity of those two teams as well, Anthony, like Armagh, you saw it against Down at the weekend, the intensity of Derry against Monaghan. The only thing I'm wondering is, especially with the extra games this year in the, in the group phase, Armagh had that intensity against Galway, but ultimately he fell short in the quarterfinal last year. Derry fell short against Galway then in the, in the semifinals. So with, with even more games now to play this year, is it, is it tough for teams like Derry and Armagh to keep that intensity going throughout the summer? Yeah, it probably is, Shane, but you know what? It's intensity across the park for everybody. You know, you have to bring intensity to, to, to games these days. You can't, you can't but not do it. Um, and especially when you're trying to create a situation where you're breaking and you're... you're, you're like, if you watch Armagh at the weekend, they knew Down have an awful lot of pace and an awful lot of speed, and, and they run at angles. Now, Down, I don't think Down were as effective as the previous day. They were kind of running in ones and twos. They weren't coming in groups and pods like they usually do. But, but Armagh decided, OK, we're going to stop that running game. Um, we're going to expose high balls in around the square because if you said you saw what they did was straight away as soon as they got the ball their big men midfielders their halfbacks Mackin etc went, went straight up and basically stood in beside Mernon and what they did was they said well we go for shots and if they're short the boys can compete with them uh, which they did there was probably there was two or three warning shots before they got the goal um, but what they also did which was really smart was they stopped down at source little tackles 
little small little tugs of the jersey, you know, a hand across. Now, Lane tried to book a few of them, which he did, but he probably needed to book all six forwards and he probably needed to make a bit of an example of them. And it's something that Armagh definitely worked on. But they just stopped it at source, made sure that Down had to slow down their counter-attack. Now, Down were a bit naive. You know, really, they should have hit the deck and thrown the ball back to someone else to kind of get the speed into it because they just played into their hands. So, look, the intensity... You're now getting into this is this is it. You know you're you're, you're getting into shall we say the the real deal uh, over the next number of weeks, and it's it's going to be squad depth, bringing that A game every week. Who's first out of the blocks? The, the importance of that first game is 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 you know it's it's massive. Uh, you win that first game. And, and you're you're in the driving seat, you lose it, and all of a sudden you're saying, right, well, we have to go again. Do you pick up injuries? As you say, can you get to the pitch of it the next day? It's a very, very difficult thing yeah. in, in, in those in those games to get back. Yeah, and look, there's other teams who are going to win their first two and put out a shallow team for the third game, and that'll have some unintended consequences about other teams not making it. So all of that to play out. Anthony, good stuff. Correct. Thanks a million. No bother, lads. Talk to you. We'll obviously talk loud properly in our preview for the Leinster football final. We've got plenty of time to do that and we'll see how high they have risen in uh, Tommy's power rankings when he's back from holiday. It is 11 minutes past nine. OTBAM live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. Uh, some highlights for you on the Off The Ball Podcast Network today. You can listen to the latest episode of the Koi Gig Pod reflecting on Arsenal's heartbreaking defeat to Wolfsburg in the Champions League semi-final Brian O'Driscoll in conversation with Will last night and Tommy Walsh will play us some Tommy Walsh goodness in a few minutes for you to whet the appetite uh, make sure you follow us across social and subscribe to the OTV Podcast Network one last reminder tonight UEFA Champions League Roadshow in partnership with Just Eat in the Mansion House in Dublin going to be joined by UEFA Champions League winners John O'Shea Wes Brown and Graeme Souness multiple Champions League winner himself it's going to be a brilliant night's entertainment it's an exclusive off-air event there are a couple of last-minute tickets available. Go to offthewall.com forward slash events. We will see you there tonight. Just Eat, the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. After the ad break, Basketball Ireland CEO John Feehan is in studio. You're listening to OTB AM. It's uh, quarter past nine this Wednesday morning. I'm delighted to say John Feehan, who is the CEO of Basketball Ireland, is with us in studio to talk to us about the strategic plan which they launched last week. John, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a week on since you officially launched the five-year strategic plan for Basketball Ireland. So how has it been um, received by the various stakeholders? Uh, what's the response been It's like? been extremely well received, actually. Um, the nice thing about it is it's quite a simple document. I mean, there's nothing very fancy about it. It just states very, states, uh, very succinctly what we're trying to achieve, how we're going to do it, and basically it's a very simple document, as I said, but it has been received extremely well. It went out to, we sent it out on emails to over 30,000 people uh, within our stakeholder groups. And, uh, yep, we, all the response back from all social media channels and everything else has been very positive. So give us give us some sense of how big the sport of basketball is in Ireland and what you think yeah. the potential is. Actually, basketball is a very big sport in Ireland. Uh, to put it in context, we have nearly 42,000 post-primary schools uh, players. We have 37,000 registered club members. That doesn't include colleges, doesn't include masters tournaments, doesn't include primary schools, doesn't include informal basketball players. So I suppose the estimate overall would be close enough to 100,000 people playing the, the game every year uh, in Ireland. The gender split is quite 
even as well? Absolutely, 50-50, which right. is fantastic, and, and also very diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have up to 79 different nationalities playing the sport here in Ireland, which is fantastic, you know? And uh, every, every uh, colour of skin, every, every, every... It's probably the most reflective sport of modern Ireland that you can get. Um, on a personal level, why did you want to take on the challenge of basketball? People would be familiar, or maybe not familiar, with the fact that your, your background is in rugby, you've been involved with the Six Nations, you've been involved with the then Pro 12, with the Lions as well, so um, out of the frying pan into the fire in some ways, but also, what, what was it about basketball that you decided, okay, I can do this? Well, there's kind of two parts to that. The first is, uh, I suppose I spent quite a long, long time in rugby, 16 years doing that, so I just needed a new challenge, really, at the end of the day, um, and Basketball, when I looked into it a little bit, just said to me, it's, it screamed something that needed um, a, a new approach. And I think, you know, obviously I come with no baggage and I'm going in with quite a lot of experience in terms of how to help sports uh, realise their potential. And that's really the main reason why I'm there. It's, it's fantastic. The people are great. The volunteers are great. It's a big sport, as I said. Probably not as well known as it should be, but yeah. it's, it's really, really getting there. It, it always feels like it's a, a little <coughs> bit of um, an undiscovered, uh, unpolished gem in Irish sports That's and for various reasons, which there's no need for us to relitigate. But when you were going in and doing your interview, not to uh, relitigate it, but <laughs> what was the, the bit that was like, yeah, the bit that got you fired up about it? It, it was just the potential huge potential and you know it's 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 also its profile the you know we mentioned mm. earlier on the, the the range of people who play it i mean there isn't another well there's very few sports i can think of anyway that would be even close to a 50-50 gender split as i said it reflects irish society in the most fundamental way and i think it has such potential to grow as well i mean uh, as i said i i got involved with rugby many many years ago and I see it almost like the way rugby was 30 or 40 years ago in terms of its potential to grow. Um, and, you know, I, we could have very, very serious numbers playing this. And in terms of if you um, government policy is another matter, but if, if one of the key uh, uh, tenets of government policy is participation, yeah. we probably have a better chance of delivering s- significantly on that than most sports. Why, why is that? Uh, there's a number of reasons. As I said, the 50-50 gender split is, is just we're open to... Everybody, uh, it's indoors in an, uh, in winter, which is uh, always always good in a cold, wet, dark, horrible night. Yeah, um, I it's safe. Think, I it's think the indoors thing is the the, uh, the single thing you have over all the other sports. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's I mean to put it in, uh, also uh, it's safe, which is really important. Um, and it's accessible. Uh, it, there's gyms all over the country, which is fantastic. Um, but also, like, to put it in context, basketball is the second biggest sport in the world after soccer. Uh, so we have all sorts of role models and competitors to, to come up against uh, internationally as well as here in Ireland, which is fantastic. Do you find yourself pitching against the other sports like the likes of GEA and rugby and soccer in Ireland, or is it a case of, especially, I mean, at participation levels in schools and PE, is it important to get basketball in there in, in young people's brains as, as an option? I, I, to be fair, I think we're way beyond trying to get it in there. We're mm. actually in there. I mean, as I said, nearly 42,000 uh, secondary school players. That's, that's a lot of players, and most sports would be delighted to have those kind of numbers. Clearly, the biggest sports in Ireland are GAA uh, and soccer. Uh, we probably have more players than rugby. Mm. Um, so to put it in context um, so from that point of view we're very comfortable with that the other thing too and it kind of gets back to what you were saying about potential and everything else um, basketball like soccer 
is, is something that can be played very informally. You don't need an awful lot of facilities or you don't need a big pitch, you don't need whatever. You, you, all you need is a small space and hoop and a yeah. ball and off you go. <laughs> and you can play it with two people, you can play it with ten people if you want, whatever it is. So from that point of view, it's, it's got many, loads of potential. Yeah, well, it's, uh, <coughs> it's one of those things where um, you can have a beautiful state-of-the-art gymnasium and full-time professional basketball coaches in, in some of our secondary schools or I was down in Lanchoy Square on Sunday and there was a pickup game being played and it was semi-organised and it was, you know, pretty brutal. They were like, you know, they were taking it very seriously and it's um, and it's it's every as you say, every aspect of Irish life is reflected in it and at the same time you had LeBron versus Steph Curry last night so yep. that's the thing that's on telly and everybody is able to go okay I'm part of this continuum here yeah and, and you know later later this year now for instance we're, we're playing Croatia here in Ireland we'll have two NBA stars and, uh, coming in to play in that team within Croatia, Croatia. so it, like there, we, we can attract some big, no, big stars here into Ireland as well through the international programme that we've got so it's fantastic in that respect Is there a high performance aspect that you want to see develop further and when you look at the likes of boxing and rowing um, like close to a million euro funding every year and, and, and certainly above that as well I know there's the Olympic aspect to that but, but would you like to see a little bit more funding coming in from the government? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not in any way critical as such of, of government. I, to be fair, we get a lot of support from Sport Ireland across many many aspects of the sport. Uh, yeah, the elite funding area is an area where we would certainly like to develop that level of funding. Uh, we have uh, pitched uh, our, our, our thinking to, to Sport Ireland. I think they're, they're, they have reacted very positively, positively to it. Um, from our perspective, I think we probably will get delivery on that in due course. Uh, the, the area probably that can be looked at first is three by three. It's a it's a shortened version of the game. Uh, you obviously don't need quite as many uh, players for that. So you, all you need is a very small number of really good players, and and most countries can provide that. So it's a it's a very democratic version of the game. Yeah, you can actually we actually could qualify for Olympics in three by three and and all the rest of it. So from that perspective, I think Sport Ireland are very favourable towards us, and we're looking obviously for something there in the future and people in Irish people might not realise that that at 3x3 three three level we're at the top tier of the Eurobasket stage which at bo- both teams well, yeah, even at the even at the f- full game, yeah. we're, we're in the Eurobasket competitions now, which is not that's the if you like the the European equivalent of the European Cup or whatever it is. It's, we're at the top tier in that respect, but in three by three in particular, uh, the nature of how it's 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 done is that uh, uh, it's a lot easier to get up the ranking lists quickly in that mm. than, than compared to say the the full on game. But uh, it's a, a very, all these um, uh, qualification uh, systems are always very complex. And They're labyrinthine, sure. Oh, they are, yeah, um, and just because uh, obviously it, it's an issue in the women's rugby, can the three by three players play for the full five asides? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's absolutely. No, there's, yeah, and in fact they're very very complementary. So okay, there's, that, there's no that issue. It's really great. Obviously, the other big thing then in terms of um, uh, the the senior game is a really strong domestic game. Um, how do you go about learning the lessons from other sports and even from basketball to to get the domestic senior game men's and women's to a level where you know people are coming to the matches there's excitement around them the media coverage is at a higher level than it is at the moment what's the what's the plan around that well, uh, they always say, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? The thing is reality. It's about putting a whole series of small things in a row together that actually add up to something big uh, over a period of time. That's the way to do it. Um, but 
We are actually, we've done a load of things this year. For instance, we've introduced the Swish Live Statistics app, uh, which, you know, you can read all the scores as they happen. Right. Uh, in all our National League games now. Uh, we've introduced uh, an OTT platform for uh, our, our National League, uh, which is showing over 700 games at the moment per year. How much is that for subscribers? It's uh, The introductory offer this year was for the season was, was a about 30 euros I think okay so it's good value if you're yeah, a basketball fan you can watch it'll probably all be the slightly higher games. this year but right. you know it's, it's, but it's up that you can watch 700 odd games for 50 quid basically yeah. or 30 quid uh, so yeah the simple answer is uh, so it's a series of different so it's a series of different things and obviously we're, we're engaging with the likes of yourselves far more uh, uh, than we used to uh, and it's really a case of providing information and communication. We're also we've also uh, we're generating new database within the actual sport. There's a, a whole heap of different things. There's a, a learning management system which is all about education within the sport. That's all being put in place. All it's as I said, a series of steps that together be, become a big uh, delivery for the sport. Uh, uh, obviously, getting participation numbers up across the board will mean more people are more interested in games, and then their potential customers who'll go to matches yeah. and support a local team. And that's a fairly obvious thing. Is there is there a chicken and egg in any way where you can um, uh, hype up the the leagues to a level where they actually draw more people in too? I, I'm always I, I never really know what the answer is when it's. Um, because you, know, you hear a lot about legacy in the London games. That's all about legacy, and then there's no legacy. There's literally no legacy. West Ham yeah. on the stadium, and there's uh, loads of controversy about the London games. And it's actually been the same all the way back to Barcelona. The city went bust. There was a housing crisis afterwards, and actually the best thing that they got was the Athletes' Village. But um, any anything you can you can yeah. call around, like like there's a, in like any sport, there's a whole series of different things you got to look at. You got to look at everything from the commercial program to the communications program, to digital programs, to uh, discipline, to coaching, to refereeing, to player development, to the senior squads, international senior squads, to the National League program, to the community aspect of basketball, to schools of basketball, mm. to masters. Like There's a whole heap of different things, and you need to have a, a strategy against every single one of those to make sure that you're developing it over the next f- five years, and that's what's in this strategic plan. The National Basketball mm-hmm. Arena and Tala features in the strategic plan as well. I know that it's 30 years old now, the, the basketball arena. So the plan is to double the capacity by 2026? Ideally, yes. That's, that's where we're going. The specific aspects of the details of the plans are, are being developed, and we're actually looking at two or three different options. But in reality, yes, it's, just, it's that, but we want to improve the facilities like the dressing rooms. We also want to give the experience that people have going to the actual arena uh, an upgrade in terms of things like even simple things like toilets and yeah. uh, places to uh, uh, areas Consumers to hang out more. Or, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, but th- when, when it's when it's full, even today, even when it's full now, it's a, an incredible experience to see the place. It's rocking. It really is when it gets when it's full and people are chanting and all that. It's fantastic. I suppose my my question was a, a really about like, is there a way to have three or four big clubs around the country who have similar but smaller venues where the atmosphere is the same? Well. Yeah, we do. Uh, like uh, most basketball clubs, don't own their own their venues. That's the that's the first thing. Uh, there's Neptune and Cork, which is a lovely lovely venue, uh, but there are a number of other venues where we we you know uh, the local Super League sides will play their games. 
Such as there's a, new, a lovely new one now, for instance, in MTU in Cork. There's uh, Belfast Star play out of a lovely brand new facility in Belfast, or will be this year, a new facility in Belfast. There are a number of seriously big gyms with capacities up to, say, seven to 900 people around the country. Because the atmosphere of seven to 900 people as the game is on the line mm. is, is the type of thing that... Particularly in an enclosed space, you know, it's, it's, very, it's very noisy, it's, yeah. very, it's very vibrant. And it looks good on TV. Looks good. And, and that brings the sponsors and that brings the, the viewership and so that's the bit that's I mean the, the reality is for instance uh, on our OTT platform for instance there's about almost 350,000 plays on it it's, it's serious numbers yeah. and um, you know that's the kind of thing that attracts sponsors as well yeah no totally and like obviously in, in some cases that's the end of the road because the far more important thing is to have volunteers and good quality coaching and you have to develop these two things simultaneously so that's always like a um, you know, today, which which bite of the elephant are we going to try and? Well, the thing about basketball is, you know, at the top end uh, with our Super League sides and Division One sides, which are the national teams, uh, it's semi-professional at that level. Uh, where the the rest of the game, which is over two hundred clubs, is all community based, and it's all every part of Ireland. Every literally every county in Ireland has has, has clubs, so it's and schools for that matter. So it's um, you know it's it's a great sport in that respect, and it uh, it really gets right down to grassroots. Would you are, are you in favour of there being more college basketball games being played here, or even if there was NBA games being played here, is that just a win for the basketball community, or would you be concerned? Like, is there are there any watchouts for that kind of stuff? Uh, there are there are the, we've last last uh, earlier this year. I'm sorry, not this year. L- later last year, we had uh, eight college teams over. And that was great. Listen, I, the more the merrier, as far as I'm concerned. The, the, the more we can bring in attractive uh, games for the Irish public to see, that's fantastic. I don't have any issue with that. I, in, indeed, I'd encourage it, and I think it's a good thing. But ultimately, week in, week out, we have, at the moment, 14 men and 10 women in the in the Super League. Sorry, my, that's my yeah. phone. I should have turned Probably one of the colleges looking to get it a game. It probably yeah. is, so my apologies no worries. for that. The... Um, the money then for the, for the likes of that National Basketball Arena, as you say, some of it is going to come from the, from the commercial revenue. Presumably you're going to need benefactors as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a number of different ways we're going to um, commercialise our, our, our pay for the, for the arena. Obviously, uh, we're, we look to the increased capacity of the actual stadium itself should, should lead to significant additional revenue. But then there's also um, sponsorship, naming rights, uh, we'd look at a patronage program in the states, and of course we will look for some government support here as well. But I don't think uh, there's no reason in the world why they wouldn't. I mean, they support all of the other sports, so I don't see why they wouldn't support us as well. So, uh, indeed, they're very encouraging about it. Is there um, that, that American thing is really interesting because obviously there's loads of uh, Irish Americans who yeah. like the game and who would like to to help out. Is there anything in fostering closer links with the NBA and, and any of that kind of stuff? Or we actually have uh, one link already with the uh, NBA. We run what's called a junior NBA uh, tournament for primary school kids. Right. So that's go- ongoing, and we're looking at maybe setting up a second version of that already in, in Northern Ireland as well, because of 32 county sport. Uh, but it's the reality is, um, yeah, the answer is yes. The more, the closer the uh, connections, the better. But any kind of patronage program is very important that we don't just take the money and run. Uh, you've actually got to develop a relationship with the people that over there. You've got to bring them into you. You've got to communicate with them. You've got to meet, make them feel part of the process and, and let them know precisely mm. what, what they're helping helping us to achieve. Mm. Uh, and even simple little things like maybe asking their 
sons or daughters to come over and play a bit of basketball during the summer and that yeah. kind of thing. So yeah. it's you know you, you've got to you can't as I said you just can't take the money and run. You've got to actually provide something back. Um, it's been noticeable that in recent years the the GAA has been looking towards basketball, particularly Gaelic football. Um, in terms of coaching evolution and we know the Dubs had a, a high-end basketball coaching with them as well um, like all Irish sport views other Irish sports with a, a slightly threatened um, but it always felt to me like basketball could actually be a great accompaniment for all the GEA players who play in summer and in winter time and obviously you want people to be focused on your sport but there's a, an, another cohort of people who are uh, basketball sympathisers well, there's many um, very high profile Gaelic players who say they, they you know they cut their teeth in basketball uh, many of the skills are very complementary the seasons are complementary um, so in many respects there's, it's, it's a benefit the, the odd thing is some of the counties where uh, basketball is very strong including Kerry also happen to be very strong in, in, in Gaelic football yeah, so, Mayo. Uh, and Mayo and in Dublin and there's a number of others and, and the reality is they are actually very complementary in that respect. The skill set's good. It keeps you know Gaelic players fit and, and healthy through a, a dark winter. Um, and for us, it, it obviously provides some great players as well. You've come from a rugby background where obviously the, the success of the uh, senior international side in the men's team is based around centrally contracted players. Is that part of the long-term vision? Is there a possibility that you might have a player at each club who's contracted, who's an Irish international I'm not sure it'd be through the clubs, but if we went down that route, it'd be through centralised contracts, all right, yes. Um, I think we're probably, depending on how we can get get, get going with um, the high-performance units and that kind of thing, uh, it, it, we'll see where we go with that. The simple answer is yes. Uh, it's just a case of how quickly we can do it. Yeah, OK, so it's a good idea. It's a great idea, yeah, absolutely. To really perform at the top level at, at international, uh, at full, full basketball or, or indeed the 3x3, three three, we're, we're going to need to have a very elite small number of players who we support properly. Yeah, okay. The, the high performance unit, when is that? Is there a timeline on that? Like, I'm just wondering how far behind or otherwise are we of other maybe countries around Europe? We, we're not too bad. We, we, what we have is we have uh, one or two individuals within our own organisation who focus on this whole area and do a really nice job. Um, but it does need more specific attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, 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 we want to make sure that we um, uh, develop it properly um, and give it the time. And it needs some specialist functions. So that's where we're going to have to develop our... But we, we, we have gone from a situation where a number of years ago we didn't actually have an international side playing. Now we have both the senior men and senior women in the Eurobasket, which, as I said, the, is, is the big European competition uh, for, for our internationals and... We also uh, are on three by three. I think we we will be in a pretty strong position mm-hmm. going forward with that too. We, like we've we've had some significant scalps uh, in three by three over over the years. Well, listen, we wish you the very best of luck with it, John. Thanks so much for joining us in studio today. Thank you for the opportunity, guys. Uh, John Fee and Basketball Ireland CEO talking about the launch of their new five-year strategic plan. On tomorrow's show, Reese McKee, after unifying the Cage Warriors' welterweight title by beating Jimmy Wallet at the Three Arena last weekend, we've Harriet Pryor on tonight's Liverpool game, Sligo Galway in the Connacht final, build-up and plenty more besides. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.